Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. find the following disturbing discretion is advised put the children to bed it's time for dan and aldo to bare their souls i love the chicago bears more than i do masturbating and that is a lot Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is... If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Not since the day after Christmas, but I can tell you this though. I just noticed our theme song. It sounds like a porn set in the deep south in the early seventies, <laughs> like for porn music. You know, I never made that that, that connection. <laughs> Are you a connoisseur of seventies, eighties uh, porn? Because that oh, is uh, the golden age of pornography in America. In the 80s, I mean, like in the 90s for me, I was basically still a kid in the early 90s, you know, mm -hmm. or the mid 90s. So I would get those hand me down VHS tapes that were all recorded from the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, those were like, you just hope no one's home, you know, turn the, you could turn the TV up loud as shit then. But if someone was home, it'd be real low, like in the first, you know, <laughs> you're just like, please, nobody come and just give me five minutes to be. 
please. But yeah, I saw all those big bullshoes and stuff. It's, it's exciting stuff. Yeah, this is this show is called Bury Your Soul. So I'm gonna tell some something, I'll tell you guys something that I've never told anybody before. Back when I got my first professional job, not you know, uh gas station stuff, but my first job working at a corporation uh in their creative services department. It was about the same time that the VHS porn boom was taken off. So um, I didn't have a VHS recorder. So I rented some porn and went into a conference room and put the porn in and I started jerking off. And I I thought (laughs) I locked the door, but my fucking boss walks in while I'm jerking off watching... uh, the hell was the name of that movie something big tatas is a, a movie with all big breasted women and stuff and i'm <laughs> jerking off and so i'm able like to turn my chair quickly i don't know if he saw he goes oh you working late and i'm like yeah <laughs> yeah and he quickly closed the door he never mentioned it i stayed there another four or five years so he either oh. was in denial but it was Clearly one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And from then on, I just went out and bought a VHS machine and started watching porn at home. (laughs) Ironically, (laughs) when I was like 14, my mom thought she caught me masturbating, but she didn't. Mm. And she was like all like awkward and stuff. It was just uh, at the time we didn't, we didn't get it move into a house until I was 15. So we lived in a trailer Mm -hmm. and it was hot as shit. It's, you know, it's summertime. So I wasn't dressed. You know, because it was just so hot. You know, you just have a fan. I was covered up, but she walks in and I'm like not clothed. So she assumes that I was beating my dick and I wasn't. But to be embarrassed, though, uh, this is funny. This is a true story. Um, but it, I wasn't embarrassed because it made me look good. Mm-hmm. So my uncle died in 2003. And uh, my girlfriend and I, at the time, we snuck out, you know, like the service. We, we stayed at the service, you know, afterwards people talk and shit, you know. And the funeral home was only like two miles from my mom's house. So I thought it would be a good time for us to go ahead and go fuck. Mm-hmm. So we sneak out. And again, it's just like, uh, even though by that time we we're in a house or whatever, uh, just no air, no central air. And it's, it's the middle of summer. So I was like, well, fuck it. We'll just I'll fuck downstairs on the couch. Cause it's, it's cool down there. It's hot in my room upstairs. So we're fucking. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm coming. I'm coming. And my mom walked in at the moment that Jamie was saying, Oh my God, I'm coming. I'm coming. So at least that may, maybe in the back of my mom's head, she probably thought that's my boy. I, mean, I, ne- <laughs> I never all- confirmed that with her. We just pretended it didn't happen. That is hilarious. Factor says, oh, he's talking about something else here. <laughs> Don Burr is in the chat room. Don Burr, our resident Detroit Lions fanatic, is picking fights and trash Hey, I appreciate the Lions guy because, he, oh, yeah, like I said too. before, he knows what it's like to lose like us. Oh, yeah. But th- there's only one thing. Right now he's in denial. He actually thinks the Lions are about to turn things around. <laughs> no, well, not. we do too. <laughs> We're all in denial. Uh, I'm not right now. I'm telling you that I've reached this point in my life where I'm going to be skeptical. I was always Mr. Hopeful. I looked at I, mean, I think we did the exercise at the start of the season. I said, there's no reason why we can't go 17, you know, <laughs> I said that to you on, on one of our preview shows. And, but from now on, I'm just going to be fucking make Mr. Skeptical. I am on record right now. We're going to go always 17 next year. 
Convince me otherwise. Hire a GM that knows what the fuck he's doing. Hire a head coach who knows how to fix this offense. And let's get some fucking players signed and drafted until I see that and I'm convinced that we can at least be a 500 team. I am not going to be Mr. Optimistic anymore. I am going to be Mr. Pessimistic. And my new number one enemy in all of sports is George McCaskey. I have had it with him. I have given him every opportunity. He's had 11 seasons to put together a winning team, and he's failed miserably. And after that press conference where he answers the question about, you know, what about you? When are you going to be held accountable? And he says, the board has, has trust in me. You mean your mommy and your brothers and sisters? No, that was a fucked up response, and I'm pissed off about it. And George, I know deep down inside, you're probably a really good guy, a really nice guy, although you didn't talk to Dan and me when we saw you in Cleveland. But you probably but you did talk to him in the 80s, though, right? Uh, I, I, I said hi. We talked a little bit, you know, but it's – you know what? That's all PR stuff. I, I don't give a shit if he spends time talking to the fans. What I want to know is – why did he treat Olin Coots like he was fucking a, a, a turd? Why, why has he continued to make mistakes after mistakes in this hiring? There's a long list of shit that I'm more pissed off about with him than I am happy that he stops and chats with fans like me and other people. Fuck that. I don't give a shit about that. Let, I want let me winner. pull you back in right now, just, just for a moment. Okay. Everything you're saying, of course, is valid. There's a huge section of Bears fans that, that echo everything you're saying right now, and it's not any less valid than my opinion. But let's just just let's just wait. Okay. Let's see who he hires. If it's a good hire, mm -hmm. that can mitigate some of this vitriol, mm -hmm. which is well placed, by the way. Yeah. It, I get why everyone feels that way, and I'm not trying to just be all rainbows and sunshine. But maybe they get the hire right. If we come back here in a few weeks and they hired. Uh, John Gruden's brother is the offensive coordinator. <laughs> uh, told you he's got a, an interview with the Panthers. Yeah. I'm like, God, we don't want that guy. What if Bill Polian hired Chris Polian, his son, to be the general oh. manager? Would you be happy with that? Because no. that shit can happen. Maybe not Chris Polian, but some of his buddies, some of his cronies. Brian DeBall is a guy that he's coached or had association with DeBall's kids and their close friends. I don't want to see any of that shit. I want to see, I want them to hire the best qualified person. I don't care if it's a man, a woman, an alien. I don't give a shit who it is. I want to see the best. And then at the press conference, I want to be convinced that that's the right person. And then that GM and coach has to hit it out of the fucking ballpark in that press conference. Not come in there like John Fox did, who I immediately knew was going to fail. I have no fucking energy, and now we're <laughs> yeah. now we're reading now we're reading this fabulous article in the uh, in the Athletic that he was kind of mailing it in. He, he, you know, he, he wasn't working as hard as he did with Denver and Carolina and stuff. Yeah, that was pretty fucking obvious just from his press conference when he sounded like he needed oxygen. You does, know, he, he, does he still work for ESPN? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's probably hanging dogs somewhere. What was that story? Oh, my, a monkey. Didn't he hang a monkey that he had? Yeah, he killed the monkey. I forget what the monkey's <laughs> name was. Like when they left it outside, there was some crazy story. <laughs> yes. Sparky or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he tied him up. That, that's around the time he was like, fuck it. I know I'm going to get fired. So I'm going to tell people that I'm ticklish on my feet. 
Remember, you started saying weird shit like that at the <laughs> yes, end. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, we get, we need to get Peggy Kaczynski in here because she was very friendly with John. They had a good rapport. One day, I'm down at Bourbon A, and he was spending a lot of time talking to her. So she probably has some deep down secrets about John Fox, and hopefully, she'll come on and, and share some of those. But right now, what I'm most concerned of is I'm worried about. Uh, Bill Polian. And then, I, you know, I start doing some research. Okay, so what's the deal with Bill Polian? You know, this guy was a fucking dictator with Indianapolis. The reason Jim Ursay fired him is because, as, as I read, the, the quote was, he wanted his team back. Polian was so secretive, which is one of the reasons he hired his son. You know how, how that works, right? You surround yourself with family to keep things secret and yeah, do things I think the way. Bears have been doing that for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, the Trump administration, too. Remember that? And so oh, yeah. they keep things secret. And so Bill Polian was fucking upset. Upset, you know, I mean, excuse me, uh, Jim Mercy was upset that he had no control. And so the, for that first losing season that Polian had, he made the move. And there, there, there are stories that he was, you know, uh, gruff with people. And I don't mind that so much, although I do think that you can do your job really, really fucking well and still be nice to people. Um, but uh, Polian, you know, it's just another fucking fossil, man. Uh, I, I don't I don't I'm, I'm upset about this. I'm, I'm upset about where well, Greg, Greg told you he was happy with it. Greg Gabriel did indeed. Uh, he's happy with the direction, but I'm a, I'm more of a skeptic. Greg Greg is you know uh, a, an old school guy. He sees that the process is going according to plan and stuff. I'm just a diehard fan, and I'm fucking skeptical. And I'm not applying any of the journalistic principles that I like to apply when I'm talking about the Chicago Bears. Not on this show. On this show, I am fucking running naked down the street saying. Fire George McCaskey. Fire George McCaskey. That's why I felt about Matt Nagy. <laughs> Fire Matt Nagy, too. God, Fire him again. All these stories have come out in the last week. Yes. How about that? Did you hear some of this stuff? I, I got to get you my subscription to The Athletic so you can read some of this shit. Yeah, yeah, please do. Hey. I, okay, so I heard A-Rob said that Nagy didn't talk to him for almost half a year. So I got that clip in our media report. He he uh, no-showed Mitchell Trubisky, who was bringing notes and was trying his best to get on the same page with him, and allegedly said during practices, man, this shit's not working. Yep. And he was just told, oh, just trust the process. <laughs> That's when you get fucked in the ass. It's just me. Just I haven't me. heard anything. I still wish that our the offensive coordinator that we had from Oregon in 18, yeah, who was uh, Helfrich, Helfrich, I wish he would come out and say what was up or – you know who else has spoken um, about about this this horrible last couple of years? Yeah, uh, who who the hell? There was some, another player who just recently said some damning stuff. But let me let me read an excerpt or two from the Athletic article uh, written by Adam Johns and Kevin Fishbane. Nice job, fellas. The team was watching film following its 17-13 win over the Giants in week two of the 2020 season. The offense went scoreless in the second half, but it was a 12-yard completion before halftime that had Matt Nagy frustrated with quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Again, Trubisky had looked left, then right, then completed a pass to Cole Komet over the middle. 
The second down and seven completion was the fifth play of an 11-play scoring drive that ended with Trubisky's touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney. But Trubisky's pass to Komet was meant to go elsewhere. Nagy had called for a three-route concept to Trubisky's left. Mooney ran a fade. Robinson ran an out. And Tariq Cohen ran a swing route. Trubisky's reads were supposed to take him from fade to out to swing. And the Giants defender covering Robinson slipped, leaving him wide open. Instead, Trubisky went over the middle to his tight end, which Nagy pointed out. He ripped Mitch in front of the whole team, a source said. Nagy would proceeded to chastise Mitch for being uncoachable and not throwing it to the proper guy in front of the whole team, a second source said. Nagy, like many coaches, often called out players as one of his tactics for maintaining accountability and challenging his team. In the Week 5 loss to the Raiders in London in 2018, the offensive line felt the brunt of his wrath. Defensive players, including star outside linebacker Khalil Mack, were singled out, too. It bothers some of them, especially when the defense did its part while Nagy's offense sputtered. Now, when I read that last line there about Khalil Mack being singled out, I said— yeah, That's bullshit. That's, he, I, but they, I said Dan Aguirre was right. You, you, you were singling out Mack? So. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just a bum. I'm just a guy. You know, like, to me, Matt Nagy— if he uh, Max, the leader of the defense, right? Mm -hmm. And Mitch at the time was the leader of the offense. Mm -hmm. If you expect them to be the leader of other men, you can't undercut them in front of the other guys. It, it is, it is a bit awkward. No doubt about it. <laughs> you have to have those conversations one-on-one -on -one with your team captains, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yep. So if you're going to say something bad about Mac or even Hicks, you got to talk to them individually so that the other guys know that they're the leaders and they can listen to them. It, you can't you can't undercut them in front of the other players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, there, there's got to be a better way. You want to hold everybody accountable, and you want the whole team to know that players are being held accountable, but to rip guys, particularly the defense that's been carrying the fucking team, you gotta be, you got to handle that in, in a better fashion. Another excerpt from this article that I wanted to read because it, uh, again, proves how right I am about stuff. <laughs> I have been saying since the very first year we did a podcast here at the barroom, then it was called the uh, Bears Barroom Podcast. That, that's what the podcast was. It was with Draft Dr. Phil, Shane Marsaw, Jose Cotto, Lauren Cox, and myself. We had a five-man team doing that weekly podcast. And I remember, like it was yesterday, saying that one of the fucking problems with this team is that they don't know whether if they're rebuilding or if they are uh, tinkering just to get a championship team this year. They're, 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 they're doing things both ways, and you can't do things both ways well you can't do it and over the years i have started uh rephrasing that by saying they lack synchronicity that things aren't aligned perfectly well here's a, an excerpt from the from the article that that basically confirms my point of view since George McCaskey took over as chairman of the Bears in 2011, the three most important people in the franchise, the GM, the head coach, and quarterback, have seldom aligned. Bad decisions compounded previous bad decisions. Nobody gets a, sleep, uh, a clean slate. Nobody gets to build their own program, said former long snapper Patrick Manley, the longest tenure player in Bears franchise history. It feels like everybody kind of has one handcuff on whenever they get hired. It's an endless cycle of inheriting the previous regime's trash, a former team employee said. And it's about to happen 
again. It is. And now Justin Fields can can correct that if he ends up I don't up want being, him traded. I'm sorry, I don't. I, I know you don't. But I'm saying Justin Fields can correct that misalignment, as, as the folks at The Athletic put it, if he turns out to be a great quarterback. But if he turns out to be another Mitchell Trubisky, Lord help us, then here we go again. You've hired a coach and a general manager who did not work together to bring in their own quarterback. And so it's a continuous cycle of fucked up shit that you're giving a guy a job saying, all right, deal with Jay Cutler here. All right, deal with Mitchell Trubisky here. That's what's happened in the last two administrations. They were handed quarterbacks that the coach didn't pick. It's fucked up. It's totally fucked up. That's not the run you run business. Everything you're saying is true. Everything you're saying is true. However, I will point out once again with Nagy, uh, the the story with Mitch alone showing up with notes and you know going all out of his way and Nagy just fucking no showing (laughs) ghosting him like a fucking like a hoary man online. (laughs) I I just I I think that that absolves Mitch in so many ways. Like yeah. Nagy was the problem. He truly oh, yeah. was. It, truly. I mean, there are clearly issues with Metro Trubisky, but the way you handle that is so different than the way Matt Nagy handled it. Prime example, Matt Jones gets the Patriots to the playoffs. How did they do that? They masked his deficiencies. Why do you think they ran the ball? Th- they threw just three passes in one game and ran it 50 times. They were taking away stuff from Mac from for from Mac hey, because let me, let me jump in. Catching uh, just in one second. Let me jump in one second. Please. I'm sorry. No. When Mitch was a rookie, when we beat Carolina, John Fox had a game where he called seven pass plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go back yes. and look at it. I think it was seven, maybe eight yes, that I- Mitch threw and we won because uh, I think Cam threw a couple of pick sixes. I think one was Daddy. Was Eddie already on the team in 17? I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah was, I think that it was, was Eddie's rookie, rookie year. Yeah, that was his rookie uh, But, yeah, the point being, John Fox was handling Mitchell Trubisky better than Matt Nagy because what would happen? Again, Fox had a game. He's like, hey, we're ahead. This guy's a rookie. Why put him out there? Just run the ball. You know, we're, we're running well. With Jordan Howard, let's go. Defense is playing well. Why put him in harm's way? Do you think Matt Nagy would do that? Matt Nagy is, uh, you know, fourth and goal from from the half yard line, you know, and we're in a fucking shotgun. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter. He's always putting his quarterback in harm's way, which is why Foles was always so mad. At him. But juxtapose that just for a minute, John Fox and that Carolina game and compare him to the way Nagy coached him. Here's Maybe a, Mitch would have been better off if Fox hadn't gotten fired. You know what? I I, I agree. I think uh, Fox, though, scared Mitch. I mean, he was ha- harping so much about don't throw interceptions, don't throw interceptions, that I think it really hurt his confidence when he would rear back to throw. He was thinking too much about that as opposed to having an aggressive approach towards throwing the ball in there. A little bit more from this athletic article based on what we're talking about right now. To some, though, it was evident that things weren't working out with the quarterback and head coach. Mitch never checked the boxes for for Nagy since day one, said one source. Then came the week one matchup against Green Bay in what was that, uh, 20 uh, after the playoff season. In the most anticipated regular season Bears game in decades, Trubisky was 26 for 45 with one interception and no touchdowns. He was sacked five times. The Bears lost 10 to 3. The Packers game was where you were like, 
Oh, shit, this is not working out, said one source. To those who had followed Trubisky's short career, it was apparent the match wasn't working. The general sentiment, Nagy tried to make his quarterback something that he wasn't. That understands that public uh, perception, a former Bears player said. If his quarterback isn't doing what he wants, what he sees in his dreams, Nagy's dreams, it's going to be a tough dynamic, and it's going to be to reflect poorly on him and the staff. Trubisky didn't help his cause. Some of the Nagy's play calls did work, but Trubisky didn't connect with his receivers, most notably on deep passes. There were costly interceptions. Then he tore his labrum in his left shoulder in week four, an injury that later required surgery and his legs stopped being a threat. After the 2019 season concluded, Trubisky prepared to meet with Nagy. And as you said, Dan, they needed to have a conversation. How were they going to make the things work? The quarterback prepared notes for the meeting. Nagy, though, however, didn't make it. He no-showed him, a source said. Like I say, he was like a whore online that he met the ghost of. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Is that what you've done? Two horse online. No, I've had people <laughs> ghost me. I've had oh, women ghost oh. me for sure. Oh, tell us more, Dan. <laughs> you know, you, you fuck them and then, and then they, you yeah, are they, they're done. You're talking about professional women or you are you calling women whores? No, no, I'm talking <laughs> women that have, you know, gone out with and stuff that ghosted me. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, okay. So enough about that. I want to play one clip for you. I know you're going to love this. You're going to love this because you're a Jay Cutler fan. So Jay Cutler want, is on yeah. one of the radio shows and he is asked, how long did it take for you to know what was going on with this team that they were dysfunctional? You're traded here in 09. We're all very excited. You're excited to be here. You grew up a Bears fan. When did you, if you ever did, realize... Oh my gosh! <laughs> this place is a mess. This franchise isn't what I dreamt it to be. First week. <laughs> I'm being serious. You're why elaborate? Yeah. Well, man, because I, I mean, because I, I came from Denver. I came from Mike Shanahan's world. So, like, everything was, I mean, quarterback friendly. Everything was, you know, first class. We did things the right way. And I'm not saying that the Bears didn't do things the right way. They definitely did. It was a first class organization. It's just I knew. You know that first week, looking at the playbook and how things were running, I was like, "This is not, this is not what I'm what I'm used to the last three years. This is going to be a different experience, and this is not going to be, um, this is going to be tough. This is going to be really tough." Who was the offensive coordinator that first year that Cutler came? Ron Turner. Oh my gosh, I think Jay's full of shit. Then Ron Turner ran a good offense with Eric Kramer. Yeah, but that was a decade before uh, he came back. I mean, I didn't hate Ron Turner. Uh, but yeah, that year they got blown out a couple of times uh, by the middle of the season. Now, granted, Jay had a really bad game in San Francisco where he threw for five interceptions on, on a Thursday night. Mm -hmm. But still, he he threw like 26, 27 touchdowns that year. Uh, yeah, but their their offense clearly needed changed by the end of the season. That's when they but they hired Mike Martz. I always look back at that. They interviewed Tressman. Now, if they would have hired Tressman. And we would have had like Tressman's 13, 14 offense in 2010 mm -hmm. when you still have Lovey's boys. Lovey's the coach. I agree with you, Dan. That would have been, we probably would have won the Super Bowl that year. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that was, uh, you know, that's what Tressman does best. Offensive coordinator, calls plays, runs that West Coast offense, does it well. What he doesn't do 
is lead an entire football team. He came into the franchise and he immediately lost the defense that was already skeptical of him because they really, really loved Lovey Smith. And on top of that, this whole fucking thing where they asked Mel Tucker to run Lovey's defense. I mean, that's another motherfucking thing that uh, I, I blame. I blame George McCaskey because even I'm a fucking fan. I'm a fucking fan. And I know not to tell you don't tell your the, the, uh, coordinators to work uh, to to implement an offense or a defense that they're not familiar with. How could McCaskey allow that to happen? How how can McCaskey hire Emery and then Emery says, "Don't worry, don't worry, uh, Marinelli isn't coming back, but we'll hire a guy like Mel Tucker and he'll just run Lovey's defense to the T." No, no fucking Phil Emery. You know what? Just for saying something stupid like that. Pack your shit and get the fuck out of here. I'll hire somebody else to run this well, team. To I, be fair, I always wanted, like, in hindsight, going back to the 80s, I was like, why didn't we keep running the 46 in 86? <laughs> because everybody now figured out how to how to, how to uh, beat it. You throw those short passes. You implement that West Coast offense. You throw it to running backs. You throw quick slam passes. And then all of a sudden, I mean, the Dolphins did it on a Monday night game. You, you mentioned that a week or two ago. I know, but we were talking about if Buddy hadn't have gone – then you almost wish that the Bears would have at least kept the scheme because they were so much less aggressive without Buddy there that it kind of uh, their their intimidation factors seem to be somewhat diminished. So your point is what you're saying. I was comparing the dichotomy of saying, come on, Mel Tucker, you can't make Mel Tucker keep the same scheme. But in the 80s, I was like, man, I wish we'd have kept the same scheme. No, so. and I, I was saying the same thing back then, too. I, and I think Tobin that first year, uh, Vince Tobin took over yeah, they, the defense. Physically, Vince had a better defense, but it didn't have that wow factor. Right, exactly. They, they didn't have the wow factor. They didn't have that. They were still menacing, but they weren't like Buddy Ryan's menacing. You know, all uh, – offenses or defenses teams take on the personality of their coaching staff and so when when vince tobin took over for buddy ryan i said holy shit this is like you have a fucking wild uh what are those dangerous uh, dogs called that they bite bite your neck oh like the uh uh pit bull yeah you had uh, yeah a uh, pit bull and buddy ryan and now you're replacing him with like a show show dog you know a little puppy dog <laughs> and vince tobin soft-spoken real smart defensive coach there's no doubt about it and and statistically as you said they had more sacks than the 85 bears defense but they didn't have that ferociousness as as uh buddy ryan's defenses did yeah it felt like you know how like when tyson lost to douglas I mean, he still had a solid decade after well, half decade when he got out of jail. Mm -hmm. uh, he still won the title again. He right. had some big fights, you know, the right. two with Evander and Lennox. Right. So he still had great paydays. So he was still like bringing in numbers like he had always done in his career on pay-per-view. But after Douglas beat him, he lost that aura of invincibility. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the Bears kind of lost that intangible toughness after Buddy went to the Eagles. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, all right. Should we play the media stuff now? I want to say one thing before you do. Please do. In comparison, I know everyone else probably watched the postseason this weekend. Of course, we weren't invited to it, and we shouldn't have been. We didn't deserve it. <laughs> but uh, I can't believe that Dallas-San Francisco ending didn't involve the Bears losing. That just seems like a, that seemed like the most Bears playoff loss that I've ever seen other than the Parky field goal kick. Yeah. 
Can you believe a game like that and it wasn't us? <laughs> that is good. To, that's a good feeling, I thought. You know, <laughs> I was happy. <laughs> this shit happens to other people, too. <laughs> yes. Fuck. Well, and, and Jay said that in that interview with ESPN. He said, you know what? Uh, you know, sometimes we forget as fans that other teams have a hard time getting it right, too, in terms of hiring the right coach and, and general manager. There aren't a lot of teams that get it right. And so it is It is a tough task. We sometimes forget the suffering of other teams. I mean, I am so glad that Don Burr shows up all the time because he always reminds us that there are teams that, there, that are worse than ours. Not only <laughs> – That's a little jab there is what that is. <laughs> not only with personnel, but management. I mean, what a fucking train wreck that they've had. Now, having said that, one of, one of my biggest – uh, disappointments, and that's not that's not really the word that I'm looking for. One of the things that got me the, the most angry as a Chicago Bears fan was when Wayne Fonts and his Lions got into oh, the, the cigar, play. the cigar, the fucking cigar. Stuck. I brought that up to Eric Kramer, remember? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> and he great. said, yeah, that pissed a lot of Bears fans off. Fuck, man. Shit. He did it on, on Monday Night Football, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, because we were losing in San Francisco like 52 to 14. Yes. I was Had like, the Bears won that game, they would have won the division. Fucking Fred Flintstone is just sticking it up our asses with a cigar. What the hell? Yeah, man. I, I, I said this so many. I tried to get Waddle to say it when I was with Greg Braggs on his podcast, and I kind of mentioned it to Kramer, but no one will indulge me. I honestly think if the if Harbaugh was in the hospital till Friday, the day before the Sunday playoff game, he had some, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was some sickness. His temperature was like 106. Mm-hmm. It was something serious. He got out like two days before the game. He struggled in that playoff game. If for some reason they would have beaten Dallas and they would have gone to Detroit the third time mm-hmm. coming off that cigar, there's no way. I'm sorry. I love Eric Kramer. He doesn't have that game blowing out Dallas against us. Very true. I don't. I think the Bears are going to the championship game that year if they just beat fucking Dallas there. Speaking of Dallas, Tony just said in the chat, is Dallas screwed with an overpaid quarterback and that offense you can still that you still can't win in the playoffs? You, you didn't see the Cowboys game, right? Because you hate the Cowboys. No, no, I watched. I, okay, I wasn't watching it early on. Okay. Because I was watching a movie or working out or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, everyone, America's team, nauseous. You know, I don't want to watch <sighs> that. But I did watch the end. And that's what I was saying. Like, that ending, I can't believe that wasn't a Bears ending. But I also... I initially, I immediately reached out to you and said, am I just a meathead? Or that's the fucking official's fault, is it not? Because I was reading so many other people that were blaming Dak for that. I'm like, that fucking official, he's an idiot. He's got to be ready to fucking, uh, he's got to come and get the ball set. That's on him for being out of place. Well, What's he doing? I, and I said that too, and I, I was fucking roasted on social media. And my my. What I failed to do in the tweet, because I only got 141 characters, is also say Dak fucked up there, too. I mean, he should have slid five to seven yards earlier to make sure he had enough time to clock the ball. But he he ran it too far. And what he didn't know, of course, is that 
the line, uh, it's the empire. I think that places the ball. He was 30 yards, 25 yards behind the play and got like a slow start. He should be running as soon as he saw Fucking that. Right. He's paid to run. Exactly. And he ran fast, but he didn't start running until the, until uh, Dak was down, down, down. And, but bottom line is this. I totally agree with Tony. Dak Prescott is way fucking overpaid. I am. Well, sorry. I agree with that, but I still think, as Bear fans, it would be our wet dream to have some of the games that he's had. Oh, for sure, I would love him on the Bears, a fourth round draft pick. But if he would have been asking for that kind of money after his four those four years that I saw with Dallas, I would have said to my general manager, "What other options do we have at quarterback?" Because well, I agree with that, especially coming off that horrendous injury that he mm-hmm. had. But I mean, give him props, man. He did. He came back from that because you remember his foot was turned completely the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And he, his first game back, he threw for like 500 yards mm-hmm. against Brady. I think it was, and they lost, but still look, I, I agree. I don't, I wouldn't have given him what Dallas did, uh, but I don't think Saturday or Sunday, Sunday was his fault. And that, and then the other, I know he should have been more cognizant of where to slide, but that's the official's fault, man. Get the ball ready to play. Uh, people are disagreeing with you saying the ref was sprinting downfield and uh, it's not the official's uh, fault, you know. And I, I think it's, I think it's the official. This is the fucking same official who had an incident earlier in the game where the, 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 the uh, Cowboys got a delay of game penalty after the official spotted the ball with one second left. Now, again, the Cowboys were partly uh, to blame. It took them to have, what, 40 seconds on, on the play clock? It, it, they didn't get the punt team off and 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 the, the offense back onto the field until there were 15 seconds left. But it doesn't fucking matter. That, that fucking uh, ump should just touch the ball and then get the fuck out of the way. But he, but he stayed there. He's waiting for the official to give him a signal. He gets the signal, and then with one or two seconds left, he's out of the way, and then the Cowboys get a delay of game penalty. So it was that, uh, me th- remembering that play from the first half, and then the way the game ended, that was a double whammy from that same those same yeah. two officials. That fucking guy can lay back at the house and think, like, to use an analogy, he's kind of like, Nick Anderson in the finals against the Rockets in 95, and he missed four free throws straight mm-hmm. to give the Rockets a chance. And then Kenny Smith hits a three and they go into overtime and lose. But it, 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 he had to miss four free throws for that to happen. And he did. Yeah. That's a, like, that's what that official did, man. He nutted all over himself. He did. I'm sorry. They can disagree with me in the, the chat room all they want. That's fine. It's part of the fun of it. I, I just think that that was that, that official's fault. And I think. Ten years from now, if you had him on the the podcast, he he would admit that. Well, and I meant to have on a guest who is a a, a referee, official NFL officiating expert, but I'll bring him on next week so we can talk about that play and a number of other plays that happened throughout the NFL season. But one other complaint regarding Dak is in the press conference. You know, there was an incident where fans were throwing. Uh, bottles because uh, they sell bottles and cans. Yeah, he said good. <laughs> yeah, he said good because uh, th- th- at first the thought was is that they were throwing them at the players, but it was corrected saying that they were throwing it at the officials, and then Dak said good. But the problem with that is that Dak should have taken responsibility for his own errors. He should have first said, you know what, 
Uh, the officials shouldn't be blamed. I ran too far on that play. I should not have put the f- uh, officials in a position where they could have screwed us. That was on me. No, but Dax. Yeah, but seems- how long? How long was it after the game before he had to speak? Uh, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, it's usually- again, it's just that's a. I mean, you put your heart and soul into that. And you got to go talk to everybody after you, you honestly feel that you were jobbed and uh, I get it, man. Maybe if you talk to him in a week, he can give you the non-emotional bullshit. Yeah. No, but I, after the game and he's still fucking, he feels that emptiness like the, the ABC, the agony of defeat. This wasn't, <laughs> this wasn't Richard Sherman being interviewed immediately after by Aaron Andrews. And he's like yelling at her. This wasn't that he was dressed. He was showered and dressed and, and, and looked totally That's calm. Passion. And stuff. That's passion though. It wasn't passion. He was fucking skirting responsibility is what well, I it's say. Bitterness, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's true. But I mean, he thinks that they should, you know, he thinks they got cheated. And if I were a Dallas fan, I would feel the same way. One Bearman says NFL officiating has been crappy at best this year. Just saying. On oh, the Cincinnati playoff game, too. NFL officiating has been crappy since since before I started watching football in the 1960s. It's always been bad. And why? Yeah. Because the NFL doesn't invest properly in, in hiring full-time officials. Oh, Aldo, but what are they going to do all week long? Study fucking tape run through drills make sure that the communication is top notch go over these mistakes over and over again but no they get on a plane after the game sunday and they go back to their jobs as a financial manager as an attorney as a real estate agent as a high school football coach this and that how can you fucking do that this this is not a uh, a 10 hour a week job being an NFL official is a 40 plus hour a week job. It you've got to study, you've got to rehearse, you've got to go through all sorts of drills to be the absolute best with the game getting faster and faster and faster and more fucking new rules being added every year. Come on, man. Don't fucking give me this I, eight hour a day uh, official. Fuck that. I, I totally agree with you. Look, uh, not to make it political, but think about like a school teacher. Uh, they get off the entire summer and they're paid and they should be. Absolutely. The fucking stress uh, but, of the job. Yeah. Yeah. So the NFL, the high, you know, this high pay entity can afford for the officials to get paid in the off season. Absolutely. They bring, they make billions of dollars on these network deals. I mean, they can afford it, but <laughs> I wish I knew what game it was. It just popped in my head. I don't remember which one, but Madden was complaining to Summerall on the broadcast. Of course, this is years after John was the Raiders coach, but one of the officials made a a bad play and he had glasses on Mm -hmm. and he told Pat, he's like, I knew it when I was a coach, the officials weren't allowed to have glasses and I knew they couldn't see. He's like, I knew it for years that they couldn't see what was happening out there because for years they've made bad calls. He's like, at least they're allowed to wear glasses now, Pat. I think I remember that story. That is awesome. That is such a great story. Oh, I can't wait to have this guy from uh, this website on uh, to talk officials. And I promised him that I would be nice because he uh, he's kind of he, – he, he, from what I understand – they take an approach that sometimes is favorable to officials, not that they won't criticize them, but no, they have a respect for the job. And I, and I do too. I just think that the officials are being screwed by the league and not proper training. And I look forward to having a conversation. Yeah. But the officials are are, okay. Let me just preface this again. (laughs) I'm not anti-police. I worked at a police station. 
I've got a, two friends that are police officers. I'm not shitting on policemen. But if there's an incident, like a George, you know, George Floyd, those incidents, whenever someone comes out to talk, uh -huh. they always defend the policeman regardless. Uh -huh. That's what these officials do. Yeah. Like, again, look, go back to Zach, Zach Miller in New Orleans when he almost lost his leg in his life. Oh Remember my gosh, that? To yes. take a vein out of one leg into the other. I'll never forget. And, yeah, he almost died because of a fucking erroneous call. I mean, not because of the call, but he nearly died, and he caught the pass. He caught the pass. Everyone in America knew it was a touchdown, mm -hmm. but after the fucking game, that Al Riveron still said that they made the right call yep. by overturning the touchdown. Yep. And you'll never – I'll go to my grave knowing that was a touchdown, and that call I was at in Pittsburgh that they called taunting, I'll know that that was bullshit if it's 50 years from now. The best thing Riveron could have said is, you know what? Uh, not the best thing, but a, a more uh, honest answer would, would have been, I'm not sure it's a catch or not a catch because the fucking rule book doesn't make it clear. <laughs> no, he overturned it, though. It was called a touchdown right, right. And on the field, and Riveron was responsible in New York to do the oh, replays, he, he was and the he one. overturned it. Mm, and then he did that thing on Twitter or so the next week where it. he reviews his reviews. Yeah. And stood by his call saying he made the right call. I remember, he fucking did. I remember seeing that. That's what I'm saying. A lot of times the police officer, they won't they won't be like, you know what? That was bullshit. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean all policemen are bad. It just means this one instance was awful. And the referees take that approach, like, well, they don't know what it's like to be a referee. Mm -hmm. So we have to, we have to stick together. You know, it's just like a propaganda thing. Like, dude, you gotta admit you blew the call. And I'm I'm glad Tony Carrenti, that fucker that always cheats the bears, is retiring. Yep. I yeah. hope he's miserable. I think he was retired. fired. I think he was he was told, listen, you want to go ahead and retire or you want to get fired? You got a choice. <laughs> I hope he's miserable wherever he's at. I hope the roads are fucking unpaved and snowy. And <laughs> I hope he's stuck in the house right now, wherever he's at. <laughs> PJ says, let's be honest. The refs are all older guys. Get some younger guys. And you know what? That's actually starting to happen. You're starting to see some younger guys. Um, and they, the NFL has actually hired some full-time officials. They want to try to give this, uh, an opportunity. The, the thing is, is, you know, they have to pay these guys so much fucking money that you're going to attract the absolute best. You're going to attract athletes, guys who can run a 40 and 4.5 and they can run faster than Dak. They see Dak going on a, a quarterback draw. By the time Dak is done, the, the, the official is 10 yards in front of Dak after starting 20 yards behind. You need guys with great eye vision who are who are smart thinkers, think quickly on their feet, not these older guys. That that's I, I don't mean to sound sound like uh ageist. Ageist. But yeah. fuck that, man. That's the job. You, you're not gonna fucking hire somebody to to deliver packages and the guy is 70 years old. And by the way, he's got a full-time job as a bank manager. Bad, man. Do you remember the guy that made two terrible calls in a row? His name was Phil Luckett. Yes. In 1998 on Thanksgiving Day, the Don, our Lions fan will remember this, uh, they were hosting on Thanksgiving Day the Steelers. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Bettis who was the captain who, who said tails. Yes, I, yes. I, maybe it was heads. But I think he called tails, and it landed on tails. Mm -hmm. And he gave the ball to the Lions anyway and claimed that he didn't say heads. So Pittsburgh got cheated that day. And then the next week, the very next week, he's in a game at, at the Meadowlands 
with the Jets and the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vinny Testaverde runs a quarterback draw that's about a full yard short. And this fucking guy calls it a touchdown that eliminated Seattle from the playoffs, got Dennis Erickson fired, and they instituted uh, – uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, instant replay again because of this blown call. Oh. So two weeks in a row, this fucker had just the worst calls in the history of football. Uh, mm. Yeah, Phil Luckett. I wonder where he's at now. Phil Luckett is probably um, – I better not say it. Uh, Hopefully he's with Tony Corrente doing uh, <laughs> porn together. I don't want to sound homophobic, so it, maybe they could be with a woman. That's fine, but I, I, I bet you they're touching each other still. <laughs> Laz is saying, come on, Al, how often does that type of play happen? What does he mean? What, what, what was I talking about that? Uh, he's referencing that. But if I remember it, Laz, I'll, I'll – Try to offer up maybe he's talking about the sequence in Dallas for the player, the umps has to run oh. to that, but still, it's the playoffs. Man. It happens the all the time, the it happens all the time. And speaking of like what you said, is they cover up for one another. If you watch, if you read the transcript of the referee explaining that play, it is so fucking clear that he's covering up for his empire. Real, you know, really short, terse responses, everything ending, ending with he did his job properly. He did his, it sounded like he was pissed off that the pool reporter was asking him questions about that play. And for another thing is, why, why aren't those interviews with the officials videotaped so that the public can see the responses done by yeah. the official of the game? You know, let's put a fucking spotlight on these guys and hold them accountable for not only their their execution during the game, but what they say afterwards. I want to see that. I agree. I mean, and they're paid well, even if they're part time employees. Fucking a. Or maybe they're ten ninety nine, whatever the the case may be. Maybe they're not technically employees. Maybe they're just. Uh, uh, What's the contractors? Contractors, uh, the, freelancers, yes. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what they officially are, so I don't want to yeah. get it wrong on yeah. however they're filing their taxes. But yeah. uh, maybe, <laughs> regardless, they're getting paid well to be in that position. Fucking A. And if, if they can't handle it, then they should hire somebody else, or maybe they should look into the not breaking up teams. Yeah. Because, you know, for the playoffs, they always make it an all-star officiating crew, and you don't work with the same people you have for the last four months. Mm-hmm. And that just makes it worse, especially if during the week they're doing their jobs at the bank and shit like that. They don't yeah, I mean, like if we, you and I do this show every week and then suddenly they say, well, Buffon, you got to go work with Buffon this week. He doesn't know exactly what, you know, is I, well, I don't know exactly what's going to uh, affect his rhythm and things like that. Right. But if I work with you every week, then I know you know, when to back off and when to, you know, move, you know what I'm saying? You, and, you just, you develop chemistry. And you contend that he doesn't like you to begin with. So. <laughs> well, I don't think he likes uh, our language. Yeah. Sure. Why the one. fuck not? <laughs> All right. You want to hear some media stuff? Yeah, man. I, I haven't listened. So I, I'm, I'm interested in, in what people are saying. All right. This is a hodgepodge of stuff. A lot of it is regarding uh, the coaching general manager stuff. Uh, it's the usual suspects, although I do have a clip of the A-Rob interview with the uh, Kellerman show on ESPN earlier where he was talking about his relationship with Matt Nagy. Um, so it's all pretty self-explanatory. We will roll it right now. Yeah, that alignment between general manager and head coach is so critical because if you're a GM 
and you're not on the same page with the coach, it's impossible, I, I think, to properly find the players that can work in whatever scheme the coach is trying to run. And I, I go back, the, the Bears had that years ago when Jerry Angelo was the general manager yep. and Luffy Smith yep. was the head coach. Yep. They were aligned. And you could tell that uh, there was experience from their time in Tampa Bay which made it, I don't yeah. want to say easy, because there's nothing easy about uh, selecting talent, but Angelo and his staff knew exactly what Lovey Smith was looking for, and they were able to build a team that was able to sustain success. Well, you're right, and, and that was a good tandem, and Bobby DePaul was there, and Greg Gabriel. I mean, they had a good front, really good front office. They all worked really well together. The, you know, the trades they made, no, there was no leaks in the building, to go get a Jay Cutler, for example. Nobody saw that coming. You know, but if you go back to four years, you know, and if you look at how important that GM-coach relationship is, I mean, look at the mistake that the Bears made in trading up to go get Mitch Trubisky. Right? I mean, the whole thing kind of really collapsed there. But, you know, in that same draft, Brett Veach, the general manager of the Chiefs, kept telling Andy Reid about Patrick Mahomes. you got to watch this kid. You're not going to believe what he just did against TCU. you got to see him against Oklahoma. And you just got to watch him. Like I, And, you know, it was Brett Beach that just kept bringing Patrick Mahomes to Andy Reid to the point where they shocked the league and they went from the number 25th, 24th selection to number 10 selection to get Patrick Mahomes. And there they are, you know, perennial winners and making runs at championships every year right now with him. And so that's where that general manager-coach relationship comes in and how you got to really trust that guy because it wasn't Andy Reid saying, I want Patrick Mahomes. That was a GM coming to him with this guy going, this is going to be, this is going to change our fortune right here. Brad, when we, when we look at where they're at in terms of, you know, the, the Reggie McKenzie thing's very interesting because you wonder if Brian Flores has a relationship with him, if, if they added him to the list, because of uh, somebody else? And are they trying to pair up a general manager with a coach? I, the, I think that's one of the explanations for why they have been weaving back and forth between GM and coach candidates. George McCaskey said that their preference would, would likely be to hire a general manager first. Uh, other teams are going about it differently. The New York Giants have simply been meeting with GM candidates. They've got to hire a coach also. Uh, ditto with the Minnesota Vikings, focusing only on GM candidates at this point. We'll see what uh, the Raiders do. And we, we you know, forecasted this ahead of time that there could be some major change in Las Vegas, and, and there is now. So you've got an additional team. Uh, there's now four that need a GM uh, and a coach. So I think with Bill Polian's involvement, that helps explain why they're going back and forth between GMs and coaches. As I said, they've talked to seven GMs and six coaches this so, so far. And that tells me two things, or leads me to believe two things anyway, that one, they want Bill Polian to have a hand or role in helping select the next coach. And two, and, and perhaps I should put these in a different order, they want – Napoleon to, to help them figure out, hey, how do we come up with the best pairing, the best marriage, the combination of general manager and coach 
that's going to give us the greatest chance to uh, put the Bears back on a successful path. Can't help but look at the coaches still alive in the playoffs, and and you see two veteran guys that have won Super Bowls in, in Arians and Andy Reid, and then you see a lot of Sean McVay influence with some other guys. Is there a profile of a head coach that you could take out of this uh, this final four in each conference? You've got uh, well, you've got more head coaches than you have retreads, right? Yep. Guys that yep. have been head coaches elsewhere, Andy Reid, uh, and of course Bruce Arians uh, have, have been head coaches previously. Uh, then you kind of you, you know you always wonder. What's what's the uh, what's the background of these guys? How many of these guys are offensive coaches? How many of them are defensive? And we've got more offensive coaches, but I, I without looking at a list right now off the top of my head, I would venture to say you've got more head coaches from an offensive background period in the NFL than you do defensive. So maybe the numbers should be tilted that way uh, a little bit from the get go. Want to start with? The name is on the interview list for the Bears is their potential head coach, and that's defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, who has been interviewed in the the last job cycle and is somebody who is well regarded. How would you describe his candidacy? What's what's the hook? What's the sell if you're selling Matt Eberflus, NFL head coach? So Matt Eberflus, Frank Reich talked about this a little bit last year about how. Eberflus is, is very humble in the sense that he's willing to change how he does things to fit to the team that he has, the players that he has, and the coaches that he has. And he, he's not super, you know, incredibly rigid in some of the philosophies he has. Um, you know, I, I talked about this with some of my old friends on the Under Center podcast yesterday about how, you know, even this season, Matt Eberflus went from playing a lot of zone in the start of the season to by the end of the season, they were running some different kind of man-match coverages, just these different wrinkles in how he plays defense. And I think that applies to how he views the game, that, you know, you, you need to have flexibility in some of your philosophies in how you go about things. You know, I think there, there always are going to be questions nowadays about why would you hire a defensive coach to be your head coach? But with Matt Eberflus, you see a guy who could be that CEO-type head coach because of his really strong leadership qualities, the way that he views the game, the way that he approaches the game. Um, it's, it's really impressive. It's things, you know, he, he's got an interview with the Jaguars this year already. He interviewed, I believe, for the Texans job last year. The Bears are not the only team around the NFL that have looked at Matt Eberflus. And, you know, he, he's a guy that he does have some connections to Rod Marinelli. That, that's kind of where he got his start was, uh, you know, working uh, Ron Marinelli defense, and he's, he's a big linebacker guy. I mean, you, you see the work he's done with Darius Leonard here uh, in Indianapolis, and, you know, going back even, even to his college days, which I'm going to date myself here as a Mizzou grad, but I saw the work he did with Sean Weatherspoon back in the Big 12. Layla might remember who uh, Spoon was, but he, he's a really good linebackers coach, and, it, you know, kind of brings that sort of mentality and intensity to whatever he does. When we start talking about scouts as executives, I unfortunately am still burned by by the Phil Emery experience. It's one thing to be a great scout, and there's a whole dichotomy of in the building and out of the building, 
And when you're out scouting, if that's what you love to do, so many of these scouts at heart aren't comfortable sitting behind a desk or having meetings or, 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 or walking around the facility. And, and the fact is, that's a really important part of the job. You know, who's handling that if you are out doing the scouting things that you love that is the part of, of, of your being? How would you evaluate that aspect of each one of these guys? How much of their scouting informs what they would be as top football men? I think it's a really good question, Dan. And, you know, that's kind of the thing you really need to decide as a general, you know, when you're evaluating general managers, you know, all these guys are good scouts. They got to where they are. They got to be considered for these roles because they're good scouts or they're good with analytics or whatever it might be. But can you command a room? Can you command a staff? And I think, you know, Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown have both worked for multiple people before they worked with Chris Ballard or worked for Chris Ballard. You know, Ed Dodds is in Seattle. He worked for John Schneider, got, you know, a a taste of what that kind of leadership looks like, which is obviously very strong there. Morocco Brown has been around the NFL. He he was a Jerry Angelo guy. Um, That stuff is really important. But then if you're looking at, you know, what what they both bring to the table, I think they both have that leadership quality to be able to command a staff and to, you know, delegate tasks and trust that everyone's going to do their job and do it to the best of their ability. And I think some of that probably comes from working with Chris Ballard, someone who trusts his team, his, his front office immensely with whatever task they have to do and wants to be challenged. I mean, that, you know, that can be some of the things when you're a scout and you get so enamored with a player, you might not want to be challenged on that guy. And Chris Ballard's a former scout. He's the guy who brought Charles Tillman to Chicago, you know, Nathan Basher to Chicago. Sometimes you get enamored with these guys and it's tough to be challenged. And Chris Ballard, you know, will say he'll, he'll find guys who he loves, but he wants to hear from Ed Dodds or Morocco Brown or Kevin Rogers or any of these, you know, guys in this front office that, Hey, you know what? This guy actually, he's not a Colts player and, you know, have a, a very, you know, animated, deep discussion on these guys. I think seeing how, you know, Chris Ballard operates his front office, um, you know, can only help these guys. And, and that, that's to say, too, that Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown both have those leadership qualities that I think teams are looking for out of a GM to say, all right, we feel confident that this guy can make the leap from being a scout or being an assistant to being the guy in the front office. The Cap and J-Hood prerequisites. All right. Number one, I would like to have experience. Correct. Same thing, right? Correct. Sparky. So, so tell me this, Cap. What is, let's, go down, let's go through the Cap and J-Hood re, uh, prerequisites for the job. Mm-hmm. The Cap and J-Hood prerequisites. All right. Number one, I would like to have experience at both of these jobs, head coach and GM. For me, I like to have some kind of experience at the job. Okay. I don't want a first-year guy learn, trying to learn on the job like Ryan did as GM for the Bears. So I want experience at GM and head coach. You want experience, but if Joe Shane or Ed Dodds, who haven't been a GM but are high-level guys in their respective front offices, if those guys are truly the best candidate, then hire them. But why should I think that committee, unless they're simply letting Polian make the hire, why? No disrespect to anybody. Why should I think that Ted's going to get it right, George, Tanisha Wade, or Soup Campbell? I understand. I can't. I can't let Polian by himself make the hire, though. 
He's got no skin in the game. But he's the he's, only guy in the room that knows football. I know, but he just takes the check and just is, has no emotion in it, right? That does matter, right? It does. This is my organization, my team. I should be able, I'll take your advice, but ultimately I got to make the hire because I got to live with this every day, no matter what it is, good and bad, right? What, what does Pauline do? Go back to Florida after this, gets the check and just leaves? Pretty much. He's got no skin in the game. What else do you want? I got experience. But his legacy, he wants to be. Ah, he's got a book. To get the next, whatever they pay for that gig, it's a substantial amount of money, he's got to do a good job. What else do you want? I want an identity. I want an identity. A team, yeah, someone that comes from an identity. Like the Colts are a team. Bills are a team. They have an identity, right? Mm-hmm. I see a lot, a lot of Bills and Colts on this list here. Someone that can solve offense. I need someone to be able to get. Now, the defense, hey, man, there's too many holes in this defense. I say offensively. I need someone that has an idea offensively for a GM and head coach. Yeah, um. Yeah, so playing on the franchise tag, you know, which is, uh, again, already something as a player, you know, uh, I'm not going to say you feel isolated, you know, but this at that point in time, you know, once I was franchise tagging throughout the course of the year, you know, it just it just felt a little bit different, you know, as far as, uh, you know, my involvement, you know, and things like that, you know, from the time the season ended last season, you know, again, I mean, um, I think I talked to Coach Nagy for the first time in June or July, I want to say um, whatever day mandatory mini camp was, so June 17th, you know, and that was the first time that I had talked to him since the flight after the Saints lost, you know, the year prior, you know, so things like that kind of just coming into the season was a little bit unsettling for me, you know, especially with that, you know, kind of being my guy, you know, since the time I stepped foot in Chicago and us having open communication and things like that, you know, so, you know, that's kind of the stuff that you know, started early on in the season and as I go through the season. But now, you know, with the season being over, just trying to focus on continuing to be better. Like I said before, man, for me, throughout the course of the year, I accepted my role, you know, and that added fuel to the fire. You know, again, I mean, whatever, you know, one of 32 teams is going to get a very, very, very hungry player, you know, whoever that may be and, you know, however that may shake out. Do you anticipate being tagged again? Um, I don't anticipate that, you know, again, I mean, who knows though, you know, um, again, that's, that's, that's out of my control. You know, right now, my, my main focus again is, you know, coming off, uh, a season where I was banged up a little bit with a hamstring, with an ankle and stuff like that. Right now, my main focus is just, you know, getting healthy and then, and then seeing what happens, you know, like I said before, man, just continuing to, you know, let this kind of, you know, fire settle in, you know, like I said before, man, it, it was, it was, it was a frustrating year, man. That frustration is going to sit with me through the entire offseason, you know, but again, things like that for me is not anything that I can't channel properly. You know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm just as, just as hungry as I ever was, if not hungry, you know, after coming off the season and how the season went. Have you heard the Olin Krutz uh, was offered a job for $15 story uh, coming out of Hallis Hall in the last week or two? <laughs> I have not, but tell me. So Olin, Olin told the story that he was helping the offensive line a few years back with Harry Heastand, who I believe was an O-line coach when you were there, too, or with Lovey, yep. maybe. Yeah, so he yep. was there. He goes to Notre Dame. Olin's got the relationship with him. He comes back for the second tour, uh, and he's with Nagy. And so Olin's yep. helping out. And the Bears, and Heastand wanted to make him a little more, you know, like part-time-ish. And, yeah, and, make, and, make it a little more official. Right. Yeah. And so supposedly the offer came back for a $15 an hour job, which Olin insists is the truth, and George McCaskey is calling Olin a liar. 
<laughs> and as you know, calling Nolan a liar didn't go over well. Yeah. That's not going to sit well with him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why he would lie about it. If he said it's $15, it's probably $15. Right. Like, I've never, I've never known Owen to uh, to lie about things. He's pretty straightforward about everything he damn does. Like Jay, they can't get out of their own way. Do you know what I mean? Even the easy oh, yeah. stuff, they can't make easy. No, I, I totally agree. And they, yeah, the easy stuff it, it becomes hard, and the hard stuff becomes impossible. Um, you know, we talked about it. We talked about it weeks ago. They just got to get someone in there. They got to get a GM in there that is a football guy. That is, you know, the buck stops with him. You know, he makes all the decisions. He, you know, makes it happen. He drafts well, and like everything comes and goes through him. You know, I think there's just too many people down there making decisions. There's just, you know, there's a lot of voices. And there's a lot of football people making football, non-football people making football decisions, which that gets you in trouble. You know, I think you look across the league and, like, all these owners think they're football people and, they're you know, a lot of them just aren't. Just That's just the nature of the business. You know, they, they got their money some doing something else or they inherited it or they did something. Just because you watch football all the time doesn't make you a football person. How was your interaction with Ryan Pace? I know it wasn't that long, but how long – what was what was that relationship right uh, like from your perspective? It was good. I always liked Ryan. Um, you know, I thought he did a good job. He worked hard. Uh, you know, he came from, I think he was in New Orleans whenever, whenever we got him. And, you know, I thought he did a good job. It's just, you know, that job boils down to drafting well and, and get, getting the right free agents in. I mean, that's just kind of the, that's the nature of the beast. And if you don't draft well, it, it's, it's not going to go well for you. And unfortunately, you know, there's a few draft picks, you know, throughout the years that didn't pan out. And, you know, you can only miss on first and second rounder so many times. All right. We are back. Do I have a black screen? There I can, am. Please, can I, please can I poke a hole in this theory that Chris Ballard is so great? Sure. I mean, I don't watch all the Colts games, and I know Andrew Luck really, really fucked them by just like, you know, you all were on air. Remember doing 100 proof, and I text Phil yeah. and was like, Andrew Luck just retired. Yeah. And <laughs> he didn't get any credit for it on air, but he acknowledged it on, on air. But so, I mean, that's what Andrew Luck did to the Colts. But let, let's just say after that, he gave Jacoby Brissett a big contract. All right. And then, like, in his second year of that deal or whatever, he just said, we know you're young, you're growing, but fuck you. We just signed 48-year-old Phillip Rivers. Mm-hmm. All right. So they signed Phillip Rivers at the end of his robe. And then he retires. And then they gave up the fucking world to get Carson Wentz, which I was like, Please don't get this guy. You can rewind our tapes back in January. This guy's a bum. So I'm just saying, maybe it wasn't Jacoby Brissett's fault. But the way it played out, he ended up being a miss. Then he missed with Rivers. And now he's missed with Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. So maybe this guy doesn't have his shit together. And Why are we always praising him? Well, I, I do think this. He's done an outstanding job of developing the team, but he has been hamstrung with this quarterback position. Like you mentioned, the the retirement of Andrew Luck really threw a huge wrench into this team because they are stacked. They are stacked at every position. That's a Super Bowl quality team. And they didn't make the playoffs. And they didn't make the playoffs. Why? Carson I'm just Wentz. saying they're underachievers. If we were them, we would want this guy fired. But the, here's we- the thing is every team – in the world, in NFL, 
XFL, USFL, European League is going to underachieve if you have Carson Wentz. Chris Ballard, <laughs> Chris Ballard, trade for Wentz. Then maybe that's a reflection on him as a general manager. I, I agree, saying. but I think that was one of those things where Frank Reich said, "I know, I coached this guy at Philadelphia. I know what he can do." You know, besides, what other choices are there? Philip Rivers retired. And there just wasn't a, an opportunity to draft a quarterback. To, this is a Super Bowl-ready team, the Colts are. And so you've got to find a, a solution now. And unfortunately, Carson Wentz is not the solution. Frank Reich was wrong. Chris Ballard was wrong to listen to his head coach, in my opinion. But well, they can sign Andy Dalton. He's available. <laughs> well, you never know. They might. They might indeed. But I, I, are they stuck with Wentz's contract for a while? I think that they might be hamstrung. But he, Pallard did have a uh, press conference, his end of the year press conference, and he did say, "We're or we're always going to be looking for upgrades." He didn't quite throw Wentz under the bus, but it did seem like he's not as convinced about Wentz as he was months ago when he acquired him. So that's interesting. What else stood out to you about the media uh, bits? I uh, did. The Jay Jay didn't know about the crude story, but immediately believed all inside of it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and he laughed. He almost the way he laughed. I thought he was like. Oh God, he just knew Olin was the type that wouldn't let it die. And like, mm -hmm. Olin's going to be pissed off now. Mm -hmm. Like he was just like, Oh God. Yeah. Why would he lie about that? So yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that Olin was, uh, has come to the, the defense of Jay so many times on his knee in the NFC championship game when people were trying to say that he wasn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Olin uh, has said many times that Jay couldn't even stand still. Like uh, his leg was throbbing and shaking and he, involuntarily. And he could put no weight on it. And he was like, he, the dude did everything he could to stay in the game. You know, Olin Krutz is a stud, man. He is a guy that to you want to, and you know, the proverbial, you want in your foxhole, you want to walk into a bar with him and so forth. Just over and over again, when I hear the guy talk, um, he, he sounds like the kind of guy I, I would love to be friends with because he's just a straight up shooter. And for Jay to kind of confirm that, that, you know, he's not the type of guy that will lie, that he'll tell you straight to your face, to me, makes him more endearing. Him and Akeem Hicks, to me, are, are two of my favorite uh, recent Bears, uh, favorites uh, from recent Bears teams. Um, I really like Olin Krutz a lot. We're going to have to get him on the show. I think I can make that happen through my buddy, I, Greg Gazel. I think I read on Twitter earlier, not to deflect from, but when you said former recent Bears, mm -hmm. it made me think, uh, I saw earlier that, and the next round progressing to the final round, if you will, of the 2022 Hall of Fame class, Devin Hester, one step closer. Mm -hmm. He's in the final round now. Like, can 23 get it this year? I think it's a possibility. It is a possibility, and he deserves it. But, you know, centers like kick returners, you know, the whole Devin Hester thing, you know, that might not happen at all. And, Probably will happen, but it might take years. And when Greg Gabriel told me that, I I immediately became concerned because the more time that goes on, the more people tend to forget, you know, the impact that the guy had on the game, particularly now that the special teams and punt returns and so forth, you know, you're not seeing the same kind of excitement out of that. And you can't compare Hester with what's going on now because the rules have changed. 
it's fucked up. We need. Uh, I mean, if we got Erlacher in the first time, then Hester could get in the first time because it just. I don't want to get off on a thing against 54, but it just feels like, was he really first ballot? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think either. So. I don't either. I'm and I sorry. think that, you know, this was a case of Dan Pompey who made the presentation to the committee. He just did such a fucking fantastic convincing job that, you know, that, that was, that was what swayed people. You rarely. Hopefully see somebody two. can represent Devin then. I, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree. It should be Greg Gabriel. Come on, Greg, get to work. <laughs> Yeah, let's get this man in. <laughs> exactly. Anything you know, else? if Lovey, if Lovey just hadn't uh, fucked with him and tried to make him the number one wide receiver, I mean, it's okay to bring him in some, but like, you know, he had two years there in 08 and 09 where he didn't have any returns on kicks at all mm-hmm. for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And like, he just come off like an explosive 06 and 07. Mm-hmm. Uh, he regained his form a little bit in 2010 when the, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> Only the Bears would have something like that and just say, well, let's just fuck it up. Mm-hmm. We love to fuck it up. We'll get Jay Cutler in here and make a future, uh, your pro bowler, uh, the guy who made pro bowl in Denver, make him just look like an average quarterback here. We can do that. PJ, uh, we just had Stankovitz, Stankovitz uh, on the media reports, but you're absolutely right. He's been a guest here at the Barroom Network a number of times, so I would love to reach out to him. Probably will. Uh, if the Bears hire one of these Colts guys, I'll reach out to JJ then and, and get his uh, his thoughts on uh, whoever that Colts person is. I, I do have a strong feeling that because of Polian's ties with the Colts organization, that they probably will uh, or Buffalo, He's or got Buffalo, ties to the Bills, right? And and Brian DeBall, who is uh, uh, friends with Bill Polian, they, He's done good work with Josh Allen. There's no denying that. Yeah, there is. I, I although I don't want to see you know Justin Fields be running the ball as often as oh I agree Allen I, does. But if that's going to lead us to the Super Bowl, then I guess maybe we ha- we have to do that. Sacrifice the kid's body. But I, I would hate to see that. What, what, any thoughts uh, regarding a Rob and and what he shared and saying that he was, you know, maybe basically kind of squeezed out. Uh, uh, I don't want you to think I'm a hater because I wasn't uh, a non fan of Allen Robinson. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. Uh, but you know, I mean, I get it. Nagy not talking to you is fucked up, and I'm on your side of that for real. Mm-hmm. I'm on number twelve side. But in the same regard. And I get he was battling a couple of injuries, but it just seemed like whoever was quarterback was trying to throw him the ball. He's constantly covered. He did not have a good season. Well, I I think that, you know, a lot of people are overlooking the fact that he had an injury-riddled season, number one. Number two is that he rarely got practice time with his – uh, with uh, Justin Fields, the rookie quarterback. Now, part of that is his fault because when he was franchise tagged, he chose not to come to the OTAs, which everybody that's franchise tagged it, it, uh, does that. But knowing that you got a rookie in there, you know, you should have done what Darnell Mooney did, which was stay after practice and practice with the young quarterback, get a timing going and so forth. Darnell Mooney did it and 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 improved from his rookie year to his second year. And, and A-Rob should have done that. But I understand, you know, you you want to be a bit cautious because you pl- you want to play for that big contract. And so the more times that you're out there and, it, you know, the, the more times that you're out there is, are going to help you become a better player with your new quarterback. But again, he suffered 
hamstring and ankle injuries this season. So everybody's talking about that one play where he he, he failed to block uh, uh, lead block for one of the running backs. You know, I, I attribute that to, to injuries. I don't think that A-Rob is going to purposely put on tape a performance that's going to help him, that, that's going to hinder him from getting the kind of money that he wants. Why the fuck would you do that? Well, I agree with that, but it's also, it's human nature. If you have this sudden chasm between yourself and the coach, mm-hmm. you feel like I defended this bald fuck. <laughs> I've defended him numerous times. And the minute my dick's out in the wind, he doesn't talk to me for half a year, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have this separation between you and the coach, and you know this guy's probably going to get fired. You know you're probably not going to be back here. I mean, it's it's human nature to, to get somewhat complacent with all of these variables in place. Why do you think that Nagy didn't reach out to him and, and, and sort of turned his back? I, my theory was, I put this in the chat room, I think that Pace probably told Nagy, you know, we need to start transitioning away from A-Rod because – uh, he's not going to be with us in 2022 and beyond. So, you know, and, and so perhaps as a Rob said, he wasn't a big part of game plans from week to week. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you have another theory as to why Nagy- I could see that being true? Mm-hmm. I could see that being kind of like what, uh, the Raiders did to Marcus Allen, like the last few years he was in Oakland or Los Angeles, technically mm-hmm. where they don't, they don't feature him because they've got Bo and, you know, but, but he, he kind of like is just wasting away. Maybe they, maybe there is some truth to that. You know, they're forcing the ball toward Mooney to make Mooney the man. I, I don't know. I bet it's, it's an interesting viewpoint for mm-hmm. sure that I'm open to hearing. I think uh, all in all, God, I just, and I don't know him. It's not fair for me to say. I just, everything I hear just makes me think Matt Nagy was just the biggest fucking phony. And like he comes across, he tries to, you know, I'm the player's buddy and I'm, you know, I'm their friend. And uh, it was like, he'll fucking drown his own kid if it meant to save his, his own ass. <laughs> like, I think he's so transparently fucking fake. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that would, he's duplicitous. You know what I mean? Like he's your pal to your face behind your back. He's stabbing you. Boy, it sure seems that way. It sure yeah, seems I, that I think way. he's a piece of fucking shit. I'm glad he's gone. Yeah. I am too, you know. I I hope that we're wrong in our assessment of his character, but um, there's something shady about the guy. And kudos to uh, people who recognized that sooner than I did. Uh, it took me a season or two to start questioning this guy's uh, motives and stuff. And the the worst part about Nagy, even if he was a bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, and just fake, and he wants you, he has that fake humility. Mm-hmm. You know, he just wants you to think like, oh, look at him, he's being self-deprecating, but he's doing it like to try to get a pat on the back, mm-hmm. you know, but even if all, if all that was true, but the bears were winning, you could deal with it. You know, mm-hmm. the thing is, if you watch any game from 2019, to 2020 to 2021, the same fucking mistakes from 19 are prevalent in 20 and so on and so on. He didn't learn from anything. He never learns just that microcosm of a game two weeks ago, when you have four, you know, three fourth down plays, you figure, okay, we're in a shotgun. Oh, Dalton sacked. Well, you're going to come back the next time from the half yard line. You're going to run it with Montgomery, right? No, no, no. We're going to be in a shotgun again. And he's going to be sacked. You're not going to do that three times, right? Oh, you are. Because you're. They so- did so. Yeah, you never learn. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I he just never learned his philosophy. 
just think about that Charger game where Eddie Pinheiro missed the kick to lose the game ultimately, but we had this horrible first half, and in the second half, they just get in the eye formation and start kicking the Chargers' ass, running the ball down the field. What do you say after the game? They didn't bring me here to run the eye formation. Unfucking believable. But if it if it's the talent you have on your team and you can take that talent and be successful with it, why wouldn't you do that? You morons! <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one thing, like, if you want to be a passing team, but if your team's personnel says, we can pound the rock successfully, wouldn't you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. He never learns anything. That's why I'm so glad he's gone. And he's never coming back. If, yeah, you, if, you, were to meet Matt Nagy, if you were to meet Matt Nagy in the street, what would you say to him? I wouldn't say a word to him. You just walk right past him? Yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be fake. I wouldn't want to be like, oh, it's Matt Nagy. Oh, thank you for your. No, I wouldn't want to have to do that. I would just be like, oh man, I don't want. I don't want to talk to this guy. You know, like because I've talked too much shit. I don't want to pretend that I'm his buddy now. Yeah, I would invite him on the show. I say, hey, Matt, you know, sorry things didn't work out for you in Chicago. Dan Aguirre and I do a podcast in Chicago. We'd love to talk to you if you are willing to go through some tough questions. About I don't want to talk to him. Really. I do. I wouldn't want to talk to Matt Nagy for anything in this world. Because why? You're afraid that you might say something that unpleasant to him. Because he's going to bullshit us. He's even if we then, ask then him, you call uh, him out on the bullshit. But if we asked him like a professional, respectful question that was a good question, you know what I mean? He's just going to. I got to quit saying you know what I mean. He's going to uh, going to just talk in circles the way he did with the press and not address anything we say. And then if we call him out, he's going to get pissed off and hang up. Mm. Fact so says, why why do that? The factor says, I would not say anything to Nagy. He's a shady, selfish guy. And that's the factor. One of the most fair-minded guys I've ever met. Not Bill O'Reilly. Not Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> the factor. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, hey, did you see DirecTV drop that other channel? Really? Oh, uh, yeah. the uh, OBN, is it? Yeah, whatever that other far-right channel is. Yeah. And Ron Paul's son, Rand Paul, says, I'm canceling DirecTV now. Oh. I can't make this up. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I, well, real quick, real quick. Though. Sure. Uh, it came from the, the chat room. I didn't see it. it. Or not from, like, the show's chat room. It came from, like, either Tooch or, or Aaron, maybe Zimmerman, somebody from, or, or you know, from a private text. Sure. Uh, one of them told me that, like, in the end, Ryan Pace made a statement where he thanked the fans, mm -hmm. and they said apparently Matt Nagy released a statement. He didn't thank the fans. Yeah, so. I, I, somebody uh, reached out to me. A couple of people reached out to me in DMs and told me that, too. You know what? I, I think I think Matt was really hurt by that high school football team, uh, game incident and probably had a, a chat with George McCaskey about it, which is why it was one of the first things George McCaskey referenced in his uh, conference. I think that was a really, really upsetting thing to Nagy, his family, and, and the McCaskies. And so maybe he, you know, Nagy kind of took it out on all fans. But who who cares, right? Who the fuck cares that you thanked us? We, we don't want your thanks. We just want you to exit stage left or right. Choose choose which stage exit you want. Just get the fuck out of here. We, we want to forget these years. We want to forget your years here, Mark Trespin's years here. Who else do we want to forget? 
John Fox. John Fox. Jeez, what a McCaskey's 11 years as chairman have been fucking disastrous. Disastrous. Even Lovey only made the playoffs three times, but we have the solid Super Bowl year Mm -hmm. and, you know, the championship game in 2010 and 05, we, you know, did well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with Jerron, we had the 13 and three year in 01 that was so fun. Uh, And Wani, we had the 94 season, but but that's it. Our 95 was so fun offensively with Eric Kramer. Mm-hmm. So, but all of these coaches after uh, Ditka have had kind of a few moments here or there, with the exception of the last three that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, Nagy had his moment in 18, but derailed by Parkey. But still, Nagy, in, in, the, long, in the long run, we will we'll be glad that Nagy, Fox, and Trestman are just fucking gone. Right, right. And let me tell you something. The new GM and new coach, they should meet the media and they should be fucking honest. They should say, listen, we've got, we're going to give it to you straight. Our team is not going to the Super Bowl in 2022. We're going to be competitive. We're going to fight hard. You're going to be proud of us, but we're not going. Our rebuild is going to take a little time. I don't know. I can't tell you how long. Maybe it's just going to be one season. Maybe it'll be two seasons. It definitely won't be longer than three seasons, but it's going to take a little time. Want you guys, all of you Chicago Bears diehard fans, to be patient. Every week, we will give you a status report about what's working, what isn't working, and what we're doing to fix what's not working. So let me let me make an analogy off of that. Uh, now, this is two different eras, but it's just something to pull some positivity into. Okay. So what you just said, assume that happens. Okay. Uh, today is the anniversary, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Like we uh, we've talked about numerous times on here, where the NFL films, you know, had the legacy of the league, and everyone cared about the the previous players sure. and old stuff. But that kind of went away when Steve Sable died. Mm-hmm. Like nobody gives a shit about old plays or old games or anything like that anymore. But today is the anniversary of Super Bowl Ten that great catch that Lynn Swan had where he's falling down off his fingertips and he still catches it mm-hmm. January the 18th of 1976. I referenced that because uh, that Cowboy team in 75 was supposed to be in a complete and total rebuild. Mm-hmm. They had lost a lot of play. Everybody that was old on that 71 championship team, it was basically everybody had been there from the beginning, from the sixties that had gone through all those losses to green Bay you know, the, the ice bowl, all those fucking, the losses to the Browns. They had been there through like seven or eight playoff losses. But basically that whole team retired mm-hmm. with the exception of Staubach. So they're supposedly rebuilding and they go all the way to the Super Bowl. As go. a rebuilding team, they were like, they may have been the first wild card team to go. It, it can happen. I think, you, you it know. It can happen. Absolutely. Anything can fucking happen. But. You just got to get the right people in place. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but we just have to hire the right person this this time. You, you can't hire Nagy because you think he's nice. Mm-hmm. You can't hire Fox because, well, you know, he, he has gone to a Super Bowl before. Mm-hmm. Or Tressman just because we both like Star Trek. <laughs> I swear Phil Emery and him, they just were like, they're like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and 
uh, stepbrothers. Uh, Did we just become best friends? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's you got to hire the guy that's going to be here in the long run. They always talk about the Steelers and wanting to mirror them. Well, let's get our Mike Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Let's get our nice. guy that's going to be here for the next 20 years, man. That would be nice. PJ says, although I believe with a retooling and bringing back Fangio as defensive coordinator with a head coach who believes in a strong running game, I believe we can make a deep playoff run next year. I really do. I, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. But here's the thing. If you want to build a team that is going to have sustained success, that is not just going to win one year and then be a Super Bowl and done kind of team. We, we, we've seen these teams before. They make it to the Super Bowl, and then they don't even make the playoffs the next year. And then after, every year after that, you know, they they they, they battle. Kind of a fluke like the Bears in 18. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're, they're in mediocrity. Uh, uh, so what I want to see, is a general manager and a head coach come in here with a plan that is going to allow for sustained success. Playoff uh, appearances every year. Deep Super Bowl runs every year. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way they can do that with just retooling and bringing in a a head coach who believes in a a strong running game. This takes meticulous construction of the reconstruction of the roster. And now is the fucking time to do it. When you only got like, what, 30 guys under contract for next season? What you should be thinking about now is what the roster is going to be in 2023, not so much in 2022. Because if you think about it that way, then you're building a team that's going to be in the playoffs in 2023, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, and on and on. That's what Which I want from what my the, team. The Cubs did. Which is what the Cubs did until they hired a fucking manager who all of a sudden just didn't challenge his players and all the young guys were allowed to do whatever. They got complacent. Who was it? Somebody said something. Some of my reading, you know, some uh, general manager said, you know, the thing that I fear the most, it, it was one of these Colts, Ed Dodds, Ed Dodds, the thing that I fear most is complacency. I fear it. I, it keeps me up at night. I work against complacency. A guy like that, that's what you want in an organization that is building for long-term success. And then when you get success, it's not a one and done thing because he's not complacent. At thoughts. I agree with you. All right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Lester Grobstein, who uh, for years and years and years, since I was a kid, I, was, I used to call in Chicago, we had a thing called Sports Phone, you know, 976. <laughs> Let's bring two chin because I see him nodding his head here. So this is perfect that he's uh, listens in on this and participates. Uh, two, how are you, brother? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Oh, we're having a good fucking time here, man. This is uh, the highlight of my week. Uh, let me put up a picture of Dan here so that people will know that it's just not the Tooch show. It is the Dan Aldo <laughs> Tooch show. I um, thought Les's show on the network was good, too. Last week's show? I yeah. loved it. No, no, Les, Les Grobstein show with oh, you. Oh, yes. The Grobstein yeah. Schuster Zone. Is yeah, the, I thought it was fun. It was, yeah, it was fun. And you did a great job at the Open on that show. So uh, I, I got to meet Les Grobstein, thanks to David Schuster. Uh, they did a podcast here in this very studio. 
and uh, interacted with Les on a weekly basis. We became friendly. I did him some favors. He had some stuff on reel-to-reel players and audio cassettes that I made transfers for him on and listened to great storytelling from him. He's just a great guy. And one of the things, though, that was really, really disheartening, or not maybe that's not the right word, but uh, uh, made me uh, uncomfortable, uh, it was the first time I saw him, he's getting out of his Cadillac in my driveway, and he was just walking like he was not well. He, his left shoulder was almost dragging on the ground. He, he is, his gait was really... Uh, cautious. Uh, he just didn't seem like a guy at, at his age, 69, who should be in that kind of condition. And uh, so David and I were worried about his health. And and, and David Schuster told me, yeah, you know, the, that schedule he's keeping at the score sports radio is going to kill him because he does that overnight gig. And then he sleeps for two or three hours. And then his girlfriend wakes him up because she wants to run around and do things with him and so forth. And so it was, you know, sad that he was under that kind of schedule and wasn't taking care of himself and stuff. And, and so it was just sad to see him leave us way too early. But the great thing about, uh, you know, Les Grobstein is that he left us a lot of great fucking memories. And in the very first show, the show that Dan just referenced, the Grobstein Schuster's uh, zone, Les talked about one of his greatest accomplishments was when he recorded then manager, Chicago Cubs manager, Lee Elia. Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the tirade of tirades. You remember this? These fucking, why aren't these people out working? That's right. Tucci, you remember this? Were you in Chicago? They played, it, they played it on the score like all the time. Okay, but I've got the unedited, the uncensored. <laughs> if people listening right now don't know this, this is the best audio ever. Yes, it really, really is. Yeah. And Les was like, he was a master at just turning on that recorder whenever something was going on. He had tons of really great stuff. I've got to go through some of my archives because I have some of that stuff. And so maybe over the next few weeks, I'll share some of that. But uh, this sec next segment is dedicated to the eight-minute uh, segment uh, that Les had with David Schuster on the old Grobstein Schuster show here on the Barroom Network. Les shared the story, and it also gives an indication, which I want to talk about on the other uh, on the other side of this, of how he is so much like Dan Aguirre. The guy's fucking memory was un fucking believable this guy remembered everything it's like mike north told me mike and i talked on the phone after les passed away he would not only you know give you the score the game but he would give you the temperature the attendance <laughs> everything this guy, the guy with just such a, a memory for for sports but here let's go back to the old grobstein schuster zone and play this clip of uh les grobstein describing him going down to uh, interview Lee Elia after the Chicago Cubs were embarrassed uh, at a, in a game against the Los Angeles Dodgers in Chicago, and the fans really let the Cubs have it. The only reporters that were in there were myself and the three beat writers, Joel Birig, the late Robert Marcus, and Don Frisky, who's still an official scorer for the Cubs and the Sox. So we're in there, and I walk in with the three, Everybody else went to the Dodgers side, including you, because Mike Marshall, who's from Buffalo Grove High School, my son's alma mater, by the way, 
everybody wanted to talk to Mike Marshall. This was the first game the Chicago native had ever played in Wrigley Field, and he had hit a home run. Everybody's in there talking to Marshall. We're in there talking to Elia. We walk in. Elia's got a big smile on his face. Hi, fellas, how you doing? And I said, that's another awful way to lose a game. He smiled, nodded his head yes, and that's when he started. We're mired now in a little difficulty. I'll tell you one fucking thing. I hope we get fucking hotter than shit just to stuff it up them 3,000 fucking people that show up every fucking day. Because if they're the real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. They're really, really behind you around here. My fucking ass. What the, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Go out there and let my fucking players get destroyed every day and be quiet about it for the fucking nickel-dime people to show up? The motherfuckers don't even work. That's why they're out at the fucking game. They only go out and get a fucking job and find out what it's like to go out there and a fucking living. Eighty-five percent of the fucking world's working. The other fifteen come out here. The fucking playground for the cocksuckers. Rip them motherfuckers. Rip them cocksuckers like the fucking players. Got guys busting their fucking ass and them fucking people boo. And that's the Cubs? My fucking ass. They talk about the great fucking support that the players get around here. I haven't seen it this fucking year. We get done with that whole thing, and I said to Elia, I try, we knew he was burying himself, and we all liked him. We all got along great with him. I said, see you tomorrow. And we knew that uh, they were going to go up against uh, the Dodgers one more time, and uh, Fernando Valenzuela was going to pitch. And by the way, the Cubs clobbered him the next day. So Elia looks at me, goes, okay, no problem. He has a smile on his face. And I started to walk out. You were there. Uh, Pat Benkowski was there. Uh, Rich King was there. And I started to walk out, and Elia started up again. The name of the game is hit the ball. Catch the ball and get the fucking job done. Right now, we have more losses than we have wins. The fucking changes that have happened in the Cub organization are multifold. All right, they don't show because we're 5-14. and 14. And unfortunately, that's the criteria of them dumb 15 motherfucking percent that come out to date baseball. The other 85% are earning a living. Take more than a five and thirteen or five and fourteen to destroy the makeup of this club. I'll guarantee you that. There's some fucking pros out there that want to fucking play this game. But you're stuck in a fucking stigma of the fucking Dodgers and the Phillies and the Cardinals and all that cheap shit. All these motherfucking editorials about say and fucking uh, the Phillyitis and all that shit that it's sickening. It's unbelievable. It really is. It's a disheartening fucking situation we're in right now. 5 and 14 doesn't negate all that work. You've got 143 fucking games left. What I'm trying to say is don't rip them fucking guys out there. Rip me. If you want to rip somebody, rip my fucking ass. But don't rip them fucking guys because they're giving everything they can give. But once we hit that fucking groove, it'll flow. And it will flow. The talent's there. I don't know how to make it any clearer to you. I'm frustrated. I'll guarantee you I'm frustrated. It'd be different if I walked in this room every day at 8.30 and saw a bunch of guys that didn't give a shit. They give a shit. And it's a tough National League East. 
turned and walked out again. The first and only TV guy that was in there that day was Mark Greco, mm-hmm. who at that time was working for Channel 5. He was right. working for Czech Kopic at Channel 5. Later on today, he still works for ABC 7. So I walk out into the left field corner, and another guy that I worked with, because I worked for the AP and did a lot of work, but was Joe Muschel. And he looks at me, I go, you've got to hear this, uh, Joe, you, you're going to be, uh, you, you, you can't miss this. And he looks at me, he goes, Ah, what are you doing, you silly cocksucker? And if he called you that, you knew that it was he a term liked of you. Endurance. And very much a, a term of endurance. So I played it for him. He turned white as a ghost. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. All those guys had cigars, and he had a big cigar in his mouth. He goes, Oh my God, I got to get in there. I said, I'll let you hear the whole thing. He says, I'll see you upstairs. So I walked out of there. I'm going up into the old press box, which is now the suite level at Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. And as I'm walking in, what three men come out of there? Harry Carey, Vince Lloyd, and Lou Boudreaux, all three of which are no longer, sadly, around today. I said, guys, I know this is a Friday night. You probably uh, have dinner reservations. You've got to hear this. And I played it. And Vince Lloyd had a cigar the size of a tree trunk in his mouth, and it starts spinning around like Popeye the Sailor Man's pipe in his mouth. He couldn't <laughs> believe it. And Harry Carey... What the hell is this son of a bitch going to what, what did he do? Whatever. And Lou Boudreaux, this is true, good kid. I played it for them, and then they got the hell out of there. Later on, Bob Ibach comes up to me says, I need a favor from you. And Bob and I, to this day, we get along just fine. I said, what do you need? He says, I need your tape. I go, what are you going to do, play it for Dallas? He goes, yes. I said, I'm not getting the guy fired. And Don Frisky turns to me and says, why don't you give them the tape? If not anything else, they could get the guy up here to apologize or in the press room, and maybe it'll save his job. Turned out that was true. Here's another well-hidden uh, story there. Dallas Green heard my tape, played for him by Bob Ibach, and he had a fit. And you know how Dallas can have a conniption fit all the time. Oh, yeah. So he calls Elia's office, no answer because he wanted to get him up there to uh, get him with the rest of the media and try to... First of all, Elia didn't even realize what he said. So things continue, and they dialed him again. Turned out, Elia had left his car keys in his office. And remember, there was no cell phones in those days. This was 1983. No cell phones. Uh, There was no uh, other items. There was no uh, internet. None of that stuff even existed. Elia went up there to get his car keys. He answers the phone. Green says, get your bleep up here now. He goes, well, I have to go uh, umpire my daughter's softball game over here at Lincoln Park. He says, okay, you go ahead and do that. And if you do, clean out your locker because then you're fired. And he got up there. Elia played him. I got the tape played for him by Dallas Green. And that's when they called all the media that weren't even at the game. I mean, nobody from the flagship station GN was out there that night. They were down the uh, street on uh, Bradley Place, down Addison, and Chuck Swirsky, who, uh, you know, he works for this, uh, at the score today doing the Bulls games. And Chuck all of a sudden got in his car and made a beeline over there. And other reporters, the only TV guy at the start was Gian Greco. Now all of a sudden everybody's there, and Elia says, hey, I didn't mean this for all the fans, blah, blah, blah. And he did apologize, and it was unbelievable. For a short time after that, Elia was kind of pissed at me, but eventually he, he said to me, look, it's not your fault. You were doing your job. He says, I can't be mad. And to this day, Elia and I are fine. Isn't that a great story? And he, he, isn't he such a great storyteller? 
Yeah, and you know what I was thinking about? I guess I'm obsessed with Matt Nagy. If this were the flip, Matt finally had a breakdown mm-hmm. and started yelling, it would be the exact opposite. He'd be like, I mean, my system works. Don't blame me. Blame the fucking players. <laughs> Don't boo me or my kid. You better blame the fucking players. My shit, my system works. <laughs> it's our goddamn quarterbacks that can't play. Mm-hmm. Now that Nagy would, it would be the exact opposite of everything the the the, the Cubs manager was saying. Yep. Uh, again, eighty three. I, I wasn't watching baseball yet. To eighty six. So I don't remember him specifically, but you know his his thesis was. You know, fucking quit booing the players. Blame me if you want to blame somebody. Which is great, It'd be the right? exact opposite. Sticking up for his players. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Dan. Nagy would never do that. No, no, no. He would. He would say it because he knows that is something he needs to say as the coach, and so he would. You know, in all his press conferences, and it, it starts with me. You know, and uh, and I'm still learning too. But in reality, based on false humility, exactly. We're learning now that this guy was a fraud. It's like draft Dr. Phil would, would uh, almost call him that from day one, from the first time times he started fucking up his play calls and stuff. Phil was, was calling him a fraud and Phil was right. And I was like, give the guy a chance. Give the guy a chance. Hey, Tooch was too. Tooch was. Tooch was indeed. Yep. Two two years too late. Fired two years too late. Yeah. You would who would you have hired Tooch if you could go back in time? Because you know, who were the candidates then? I, I was I was actually asking for John D. Filippo, you know, because I saw yeah. that, those uh recordings of him as the Eagles quarterback coach talking about you know plays and so forth. I was fucking I liked him too better than Nagy. Yeah. But apparently, even as a as an offensive coordinator, he was fired from the Vikings after nine, ten games. Uh, because he never ran the ball, <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe he would have been a terrible choice too. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I I struggle to think of who would who was back there. Oh, they'll be after the 2019 season. Yeah, mm-hmm. before 2020, I' not sure who was out there. You know, for for fact, uh, to know uh, from you too, because why did you think Nagy was a fraud early on? What was it that kind of? T- <clears throat> well, I tell you, I, one the play calling. I didn't think he ran, gave the running game a, enough of a chance. And then there was that one time he was caught on a mic. Uh, he wasn't giving Jordan Howard the ball, and he's like, "I, I swear to you, I'm going to get you going." Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. On the yeah. sideline, remember that clip? Sure. And he never gave him the ball again. After that, you know, right. and then he ran him out of town. Right. Well, and the weird thing is, is that Montgomery says all these nice things about him. By the way, uh, uh, Beer Man says teach, teach that you look like Danny McBride, so he wants you to say big ass titties. Big ass titties. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, the, this is the end. The movie This is the End. I don't know if you ever seen that, but Danny McBride is awesome. And that, oh yeah, I'll come all over this place. <laughs> I'll jizz all over this place, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, by the way, where's my? Uh, did you guys see any of that Nickelodeon uh, broadcast? Yeah, uh, for the football game. No. Come on, Dan. I watched a little bit. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, it's funny. Oh God! They throw this green slime on the in the end zone like, electronically, uh, uh, because that's the big thing on Nickelodeon is dropping green slime on 
on people on live shows and stuff. So during the game, if you score a touchdown, they green slime the end zone and they put characters from the Nickelodeon animated shows in between the goal poles when they're kicking field goals. And, and the announcers are all kind of catering it to young audiences. So I'm thinking to myself, what a great fucking idea this was by the NFL network to, to start to build a young audience base kids that are watching cartoons and not watching sports now run into this and then they get explanations on the rules they get uh, people from their generation on uh, sideline reporters and stuff i thought what a great fucking idea and why shouldn't the nfl do this for other sectors other audience sectors like for instance why don't they agree with you porn you know, to do a, a broadcast game and you get some porn stars to be the play-by-play and instead of the green slime in the end zone, it's all <laughs> jizz, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bitched to you the other night about this, but what you were saying about the announcing, I did not watch it because I'm not a part of that demographic and I don't have kids. So I'm definitely not in, I don't care, but I get what you're saying. That's true to ingratiate younger fans. That's cool, like for kids, but you know, it's like, are you going to read Sports Illustrated for kids or are you going to read Sports Illustrated? But you know, I'm an adult. So, but <laughs> my point being, the announcing on that can't be any worse than fucking Chris Collinsworth, whom I used to be a fan of. I told you the other day, it's like, it's like he's a WWE announcer now, where his job is to just go crazy over Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan or The Rock or whomever. Uh, the old, you know, old school wrestlers were the big stars where you just you constantly have to build them up and sell the product. You're trying to sell T-shirts and sell tickets. That's all Collinsworth's doing. Yeah. It's just there's never any critique of Mahomes or Rogers. Everything is stroking their dick, stroking their dick. We've got to sell jerseys, gentlemen. Hey, hey Chris, you keep selling uh, Patrick Mahomes and we'll get, by God, we'll hire Jack Collinsworth. We'll yep. give a complete incompetent shit who doesn't deserve to be there but can smile. We'll give your son a job right now because you're sucking our stars as dick. And that's what we want because you're Jerry Lawler. You're, you're a WWE announcer. You know, it's funny. That that even nonsense. before the show started, uh, Dan, people were asking, I can't wait to hear Dan's take on Collinsworth. <laughs> no, I liked him, man. He was well, he started on Inside the NFL in 89, yeah, yeah. you know, with uh, – with Len Dawson and Nick Bonacani. I loved yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they were so good. I liked him when he was on NBC the first time. He went to Fox. Uh, I, I liked it. He's gotten to the point now where all he does is pander. That is all he does, and I hate that because I know he. Uh, they, uh, they, they did a, a piece on him on uh, Bryant Gumbel's show mm -hmm. about five, six years ago, and he really does take preparation seriously. He works on it all week long studying game film and reading the papers, everything that's happening that week. He's, he's putting in eight hour days every day that week. So I know he cares, but I think he's got to the point now where he's just like, fuck it, man, just sign my check. I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say. Yeah. I you don't can't know. criticize Patrick Mahomes. You can't criticize Aaron Rodgers. You just have to build our stars. That's all it's about. Yeah. See, I, it's I, like he works for chiefs radio. Uh, Collinsworth gets lockjaw after every Packers game. <laughs> <laughs> 
He, yeah, man. But it's like he works for the local radio broadcast of either Green Bay or Kansas City. He I, loves I, the Packers, man. He, does. he loves Mahomes. He'll still Mahomes. hate the Bears if his son works for the Bears. He'll still but hate the Bears. Doesn't he Chris love Kelsey. all of the stars of the game, Tooch? And then doesn't he love? Yeah. He he he's effusive in his praise for all the stars. Not, not like the those two. It's it's a, with a, a huge exponent. It's it's times infinity. The the biased praise, like he a couple of weeks ago when the Bears lost to Green Bay, he was talking like Aaron Rodgers was the victim during the lying scandal of the the shot, the yeah. vaccination. Yeah, that was fucked. Up. He was acting like Rodgers was the victim of that whole thing. Right. That's what I'm saying. He'll twist anything around to make it propaganda, so that you have to open your mouth and put Mahomes' dick in your mouth and Rodgers' dick in your ass. DP baby, DP. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. It just it makes me fucking sick. I turn the volume. Look, I'm not a Kansas City fan. I'm not a Pittsburgh fan. I turn the volume off in the second quarter of that game. I couldn't deal with it. That's wild. Hey, I got one more less clip, and this was one that I actually turned into an ad uh, to promote the, their podcast. And this was a story. You know, Les Grabstein again is is known for his ironclad memory just never forgets anything although you know toward the latter part of his years he was you know tending to forget things you know some of the more recent things he's he's a lot like me i don't remember what i did last night but i, I remember the first time i jerked off <laughs> <laughs> um so uh this is uh less sharing some information about a certain chicago bear in the locker room who was basically engaged in criminal behavior. I'll play uh, the ad with sound effects and all. Uh, here it comes. There was one guy who was a linebacker with the Bears. This would have been around circa 1993-94 in that range. He was from Texas A&M, and everybody got along with everybody except this guy. He would stand in front of it. He would grab a baseball bat and stand in front of his locker. He says, anybody gets near with me, and he just kept swinging it around, and he didn't want anybody uh, getting close to him. Who? Hey, Who uh, are we talking about? Um... Uh, just trying to remember the guy's name. Oh my name. god, you're giving us something you can't remember. Les, that's a cardinal sin in broadcasting. No, but the the, the guy just was... Aldo, no, help Les out. Google that one. Nobody got along with the guy. This, this is the best thing we've ever done on the podcast. You just, you just came up with somebody whose name you don't know. He was on some Texas A&M teams, and there were some real that's bad players great. on that team and some good it, players it, as well. Was it the 12th player from Texas A&M? No, this guy was a starter for them. I can't believe this. <laughs> uh, you guys have any idea what player it's John he's... Roper. Absolutely. Well done, Mr. Dan Aguirre. Yeah, and he won a Super Bowl. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> yeah, of course, it wasn't with the Bears. No, he wasn't. Hey, um, well, again, uh, Tucci, you have any memories of Les that you want to share? Yeah, he he was um my 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 earliest memory would be Larry Lujak and and yes. Tommy little Tommy he was the sports guy uh, for the, for the Larry Lujak show in the morning when I was a little kid you know they I mean they kind of would rip on him you know a little bit time <laughs> fucking time right I mean, he was came as the whipping boy. Right, and then that was followed by Steve Dahl. He went to work on Steve Dahl's right. show, and Steve Dahl did the same thing. They fucked 
fucking <laughs> drag that guy his, his balls through the dirt, but it was all in good fun. And, yeah. and and Les told me, and he's said in published reports, how oh, it's just playing the character. You know, they they needed somebody to to joke about, and and I was that guy, and uh, and he took it really really well. But he they did he did share some occasions, you know, where he he fought for himself, and 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 most of it was off the air stuff. Uh, he was kind of had it with uh, some of the joshing. But you're absolutely right. He started his career. He, he started on sports phone in 976-3636. You would call to get the yeah. scores and stuff. Yep. And uh, he and yeah. David Houston and a bunch of other familiar Chicago sports broadcasters started there uh, where you get all these reports. They would update it every 15 minutes on the phone. You, you spend a dollar and make that call and yeah. your, mom, your mom would yell at you. <laughs> For weeks, what the fuck is this phone bill? <laughs> he really is a, a Chicago lender, Wakanda James. Uh, any anything else about Les that stands out to you, uh, Mister Santucci? Well, I, I, you know, I, I would have loved to have had one show with Dan Aguirre and Les Grobstein because I think that would have been freaking amazing. It's one of my great regrets that yeah. I, I didn't team those guys up for an episode. For an episode, I think I, I think I was asking for it for a, a short while when mm -hmm. when Schuster and Grobstein had their show. I was like, man, they both have photographic memories. They mm -hmm. gotta get them talking bears. Oh, you know? that would have been so good. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't make that happen, Dan. I don't know if I deserve to be like on the mic with him. I mean, no, you know, that would have been awesome radio. Yes, you would have been great at it. I'm just a guy, man. That dude was a professional broadcaster. I mean, you, know, you are you I, have all these awards. You're a professional yeah, broadcaster yeah, too. Guys, <laughs> uh, like he and Mike North, I put like on a pedestal. They they're doing they're doing their shit in the number three market. Yeah, well, when Mike started off, he was selling hot dogs. Yeah, didn't, didn't sell the hot dog stand until 18 months when he was on the air. And he says, you know what? I think I can make a living at <laughs> this, this sports radio thing. Honey, yeah. sell the hot dog stands. <laughs> That's how that started. I love Uncle know, Mike. Dan Aguirre, you might be working in the number one market someday. He messaged, uh, Uncle Mike messaged me the other day and said, keep plugging away, Tooch. There <laughs> the you go. Stuff. I was like, thanks, Uncle there Mike. There you go. Uh, JJ wants to know, do I have any audio sports phone? I hear it perfectly in my head. Oh, that would bring back memories for me. Man. I, I was a little kid. You know, I, I have a big reel-to-reel -reel, uh, stuff that uh, uh, Les gave me, and I don't know if there was any sports phone stuff on there. I'll have to go back and listen to it. Um, so if I find it, uh, JJ, I will make sure that you know about it. We'll play it on an upcoming show. If uh, if we're talking Bears coaching search, I'm I was trying to struggle to think about like, who I would have liked to replace Nagy back then, and and I can't remember the names. But I'm looking at coaches today, and I mean nine coaches got fired out of 32, more than 25. percent I'm looking around; there there are not that many good coaches in the NFL. Exactly. Count them, count them on one hand, guys that you would you know kill for. You know, what Belichick, Tomlin, Sean McVay, Sean Payton. I mean, the list gets shorter after that. You know, I mean, it gets pretty short after that. But then there's a bunch of guys. You know, I don't think you can put McVeigh in there. Uh, even if um, he would win the Super Bowl this I year, I them. like that coaching <laughs> job he did last night. I'll tell you that, man. The Rams have a good shot of winning the NFC, but he also got a bomb squad. I don't know how he would coach if he was, you know, Mike Na or Mike Nagy, Matt Nagy, with a, a a good roster, not a great roster. Like he had, uh, he's got a great roster with the Rams. I mean, 
That's just like that fucker, that little boy in Green Bay. I just think once Rodgers is gone, yeah, I don't think he's winning 13 games again. But I, I'll put my foot in my mouth because I heard Greg Gabriel talking about how much he thinks that guy's a good coach at Matt Luffier. But I just don't I, see I it, couldn't man. believe that game was a three-and-a-half-point spread. Aaron Rodgers, a beneficiary. Last night, man, I, that was – Vance Joseph, I think, is a defensive coordinator for the Rams. Mm-hmm. That was masterful. It was. Masterful defense last night. I know they've got good players. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald are two of the best. You know, I mean, uh, but Von, uh, Miller. That, uh, Von Miller coming off the edge and the and Leonard Floyd, who we couldn't, you know, we wasn't good enough to play for the Bears. He looked pretty damn good out there rushing the passer last night. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was a great game plan against the Cardinals. It really was yeah. run the ball and play tough defense. Uh, what a concept. <laughs> you know, uh, during the, the, those media highlights, uh, who was it that said, uh, oh, uh, Jay Hood on the Cap and Jay Hood show, saying that what he wanted was experienced coach, experienced general manager. He didn't want any rookie head coaches. But that's I the agree. Th- I disagree. Totally uh, we, disagree. We just did that with Pace and Nagy. But that doesn't mean it's not going to work. What about Sean McVay? He was a first-time coach. What about all – there's this, how many teams left? There's uh, – of the six teams left in the playoffs, four of them are, are guys who didn't have head coaching experience in the NFL before they're hired. The game has changed. These young minds are smart. The thing is with Matt Nagy is that – I'm just too burned by Nagy, man. I want somebody that I have confidence in. Matt Nagy was the wrong first-year head coach. He was the wrong first-year Totally agree with. There you. might be a guy out there as first year. I'm I'm kind of with Dan though on this with a guy. I want a guy with experience, but I mean, there's only really one guy out there yeah, that you. So who is that? Yeah, who is that guy? That would be Jim Harbaugh. That's it wasn't the, but, that the first time around like Bowles. Harbaugh I would is, take Todd Bowles in a heartbeat. Exactly, exactly. I would too. But Harbaugh is not leaving Michigan. No, we, no, I know, I know. That's yeah, just and, and if he were to leave Michigan, he could easily command a a coach GM hybrid uh, position, much like Bill Belichick, because that's how much, that's what it would cost to get the guy. He would want say over personnel and everything. Right. And what we know about George McCaskey, unfortunately now, based upon the Olin Cruz scandal, is that I could see George saying, I don't know, man, my brother Michael didn't like Mike Ditka, and Jim Harbaugh kind of fits that same mold, so we don't want to hire him. So it feels like George might allow personal animosity to come in, you know, <laughs> over a business decision. Right. The McCaskies are the biggest problem. That's the blind spot, although they're dumbass. I, I still think Nagy was the biggest problem. <laughs> well, I mean, but it, who's hiring people like Nagy? Thank Ryan you. Pace. You know? Well, again, the Bucks. And who's hiring Ryan Pace? Yeah, the Bucks stops with George, just like he admits. But. So, so how hard is it when Ryan Pace says, I want to hire Matt Nagy? How hard is it because Tooch, uh, Dan, me, we all would have asked this question. Well, what about that fucking game he called in the playoffs last week? I mean, he never ran the ball. They, they're out of the playoffs because this guy, you know, so what, what did he say when you asked him about those questions? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't know if I asked him that. Let me check my notes. Uh, it's like they were like, oh, man, the Colts might hire him. We don't want to let the Colts hire him because Chris Ballard got hired the same time with the Colts mm-hmm. that I got hired here. And I'm Ryan Pace, and I, I, I've got to look better than him. Mm-hmm. Matthew Forchese reminds us that Dan Quinn, Todd Bowles, 
and Doug Peterson all have head coaching experience in the NFL. Yeah. So uh, Bowles, number one. And Quinn melted down in the Super Bowl. Oof, I wouldn't want him. I know. That's the thing is that all three of these guys, well, not all three. Uh, Bowles, I would take Peterson over that, over Dan Quinn see, all day. Uh, Peterson, hey, you were. Bowles was in really New York. Because I don't want that Kansas City offense anymore. Peterson is John Fox, guys. Trust me. Bulls, I don't Bulls want that in New York, right? Yeah, I want the Jets' offense. That's what I want. Yeah, the Jets was Todd Bowles, and look at the roster he had. He had garbage to work with. That's why I'm willing to to yeah. bring him in on an interview and, and ask him. Okay, I know you can coach. As defense. long as he doesn't hire his buddy Matt Nagy, I'm okay with <laughs> right. it. Oh right? They're like best friends. Well, that- I don't know. See, that's yeah. another thing. That's that's like maybe the first question I asked Todd Bowles. Yeah. How could you be friends with this guy and expect <laughs> me to hire you? <laughs> right. Convince me that you are not going to employ any Matt Nagy idea with the Chicago Bears. And if you can convince me that of that, then this interview will continue, Todd. <laughs> Matt Nagy was such a narcissist that he hired everyone in his staff that was bald that looked like him. <laughs> Mike Fury, everybody else, right? Everyone had to be bald like him. It's like he had a bald inferiority <laughs> complex. He got rid of Helfrich because Helfrich had a beautiful head of hair, right? Yeah. That right? I'm just guessing. Hey, no, before, I, don't, I just thought of this. I've been dying to tell you. Uh, I'm not making this up. I don't know if they're really going to do it. But allegedly... As an alternative to the Super Bowl halftime, which I'm actually interested in to see. I mean, they're in California. They've advertised Dre and Eminem, Snoop. But you have to think Ice Cube's going to make an appearance. Uh, they're in Inglewood, for fuck's sake. So uh, NWA reunion's not too far out of the realm of plausibility. But on the way to work tonight, I was listening to Stern. Mm-hmm. They're supposedly working on a deal where they want Debbie the cum lady, who, again, talks about how much she loves to swallow cum to the point like that's more of an orgasm for her than getting fucked, getting eaten, anything. This is for and the, the guy, Super Bowl halftime show? With the guy nuts in her mouth. They want Debbie the cum lady to blow Eric the micropenis guy. The guy's got a two-inch dick hard. 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 And he's been holding out for months, not even beating off. They want to do a halftime for their subscribers and make bets on how quick or maybe not at all. Yeah. How fast could Debbie the cum lady make Eric the little dick guy come uh, during the Super Bowl halftime show? Well, and do it live on uh, Sirius. So, are, do you, do you, John, you, you like giving out betting advice? <laughs> you got odds on this one? I got nothing. I don't know how I handicap that. I think uh, the micro penis guy is already handicapped. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Like you're watching kid the the game with your family or something. Hold on, guys. Let's switch over. (laughs) What was it? Didn't they have like the lingerie football game uh, on at halftime for a few years? Uh, Yeah, yeah. And the dogs, the dog, they did like the puppy bowl. Yes. <laughs> Puppy, Bowl Puppy Bowl would be right. better than some of the halftime shows we've gotten, but I have high hopes for this one. <laughs> well, um, all right. I'm going to take a, a five-minute break here. You guys, yeah. I know you guys wanted to talk about some of the latest TV shows that you watch. Sure. Dan, the uh, uh, finale of Yellow Jackets. I know both of you guys have been watching Yellow Jackets. So once you get, get did you started, get to the finale, Aldo? I did. I did. Okay. And 
I, I've got one thought that I'll share, but I can hear what you guys are talking about as I take a quick break. So take it away, guys, and I will be right back. All right. So, Dan, before I, I do some TV talk, what this is like a question I've been seeing in the chat room, you know, and there's a question up on the screen, which I know you can't see, but uh, what do you think the Bears – what do you prefer the Bears to hire first, a coach or a GM, or does it matter to you? Doesn't really matter if you were going to hire Jim Harbaugh, someone that has that kind of personality that's sort of hard to get along with, then maybe you hire him first because you want to have a cohesive energy with the other guy, and you want to make sure that the GM doesn't feel like you're foisting you know, this guy onto them. But – all things equal, I mean, at the end of the day, if you got two guys that work together and can do it right, then, hey, who gives a fuck? But we had two guys that were working together for the last four years, and it was a complete and utter shit show. Yeah, I agree. I've already, I've always maintained that one of the reasons why Ryan Pace hired Matt Nagy was that their wives really hit it off. You know, at the dinner, they brought their wives. They had, you know, dinner together during the interview process. Uh, Nagy, Pace, and, and their spouses went out, and I st- I, I remember that story. I, I remember that story in the media, and I think that that was like one of the things that pushed it over for uh, was the tipping point for Pace to hire Nagy. It was their wives got along were they, great? Were they wife swapping? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Just us. Uh, so that that Pace's wife would have someone to hang out with within the organization or something, which is a terrible Angry reason. Wife would be like, "Oh my God, look at your beautiful hair." <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah i uh I, I don't know if you hire jim harbaugh first you're you're not hiring a gm man you're hiring uh a, a scout you know who's gonna be like yes mr harbaugh you know well that's true too but they haven't even interviewed him so i don't i don't think yeah and he's not on the list i dream it's not it's not gonna happen which and, and that, that raises a great point because uh, uh, Stephen Zim Zimmerman, who is you know in a text chat with Dan and myself and uh, Aaron Mikulski and Joe Mandel, uh, he he put out he he texted us the list of like everybody who's it's like fifty people. I'm like the Bears will be the last team to hire these positions. There'll be eight teams before the Bears. So we'll have the last pick, you know. Of the best coaches and GMs out there, I guarantee it. That's the Bears. They move so freaking slow. I, I don't know. I mean, they hire pace pretty quickly, I guess. And fifteen, yeah, it seems like he was already hired by like January, like twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, somewhere through there. Okay, so here we are. It is January eighteenth. We're six days behind schedule. Then you know, but. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Hire they've got a list. They've got a list so long that you know how many are they going to interview everybody on the list? Well, we can't. We can't argue for them uh, if the if they're trying to be thorough. Mm-hmm. Then I, I don't want to be critical in that. And you right. know, it, it, go ahead and hire the right guy. Then, if that means you have to do twenty seven interviews, then so be it. Just just for fuck's sake, let's win. I mean, don't you think Bill Polian already has somebody in mind, though? I mean, with his connections, his experience, you know, and, and all the rest of this is just, you know, kabuki theater. I don't know. I mean, George said that it's his hire. Right. 
maybe he was just saying that to deflect and maybe uh, Bell is making the hire. I'd like to think that we can trust George on his verbiage there and that maybe he's just an advisor and, uh, you know, they're going to go through the process. I, I don't have a problem with it. I, you know, I just hope that we all like the hire and, and you, you, you like Harbaugh. You want Harbaugh, right? That's who I wanted, but I know it's not what we're going to get now. But when, right. when Justin Fields got drafted, there's this feeling in the air that, oh, my God, we finally got this right. It would it would be great if we, could, as Bears fans, could feel that way after this coach and GM thing was over with. Factor says, uh, Trestman was hired January 13th or 16th, around there, he says. There you can, go. Can, can we talk talk about the Tressman hiring for a second? Because uh, somebody in the chat room brought it brought this up, and it was uh, I, I believe I don't know whether it was George McCaskey or or whoever was in charge back then. Maybe it was Phil Emery, but uh, they brought they asked Rod Marinelli, who was the Bears' defensive coordinator, uh, and and one of Lovey Smith's best friends, right? Rod Marinelli. They were they were everywhere together. They asked uh, who 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 should we hire, you know? And do you remember who Rod Marinelli told the Bears who they should hire? I'm guessing that fucker who's in Tampa Bay now, Bruce Arians, right? The red red uh, faced right. Bruce Arians who brought you know won a won a Super Bowl. What so, could uh, have Tom Brady? Right, yeah, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, Mark Tressman could have won the Super Bowl. Uh. So Bruce Arians, though, pretty good coach, so with a good record, though, even without Tom Brady. Uh, but we could have had Bruce Arians. That was who Rod Marinelli told uh, told the Bears to hire. What a, what do they do? They hire weird Mark Tressman because he wrote a book on leadership. Aldo remembers this, I'm sure. I bought the book. Right. You read Mark Tressman's book, right? It's called Perseverance. Perseverance, right. Yep. That, yep. uh some good stuff, but it was basically, you know, corporate speak. And uh, I just wanted to get a, a kind of an idea of who he was. So when I heard he got yeah. hired and he writ, wrote a book, I purchased it and I'm ready to give it away. Anybody want it? <laughs> <laughs> you guys talk yellow jackets because that's the most founding show I've ever uh, experienced. Episode 10 should have been episode three. Moving well, along, well, guys. Was, was, yeah, but was they built it for really the finale renewed. Fuck that! I don't give a shit if it's going to be renewed. <laughs> I love the ending. The ending was good. I liked yeah. it. It would have been episode three, though. If uh, if uh, if people who who haven't seen the show want to close their ears for a second, the ending was great with the uh, the cult members kidnapping Natalie. Mm-hmm. At the end, you're just like, whoa. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. what'd you think of that, Danny? With, uh, that Lot, Lot, was that, what's her name? Lottie? Was that the? Lottie, yeah. Lottie, who's the, the, the girl who has the premonitions. Mm-hmm. She's uh, not taking her drugs or schizophrenia medication. Right. So right. that's why she's having all these premonitions. In, in, in the, uh, in, in the plane, after the plane crash, she no longer had her meds. Right. Or ran out longer ago it was ranging from like devil worship to getting remember the one lady that was religious that the plane exploded she had yes, her that was great yeah she was she, great. she she was talking to the teddy bear right the whole time when she was flying she had the teddy bear in the co-pilot seats that's right we're gonna make it come on that was kind of comical i love it 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I wanted to ask uh, if, uh, uh, okay, the very first episode, there's a scene of uh, who I thought was uh, Jackie running, uh, uh, very first scene of the, of the series, I thought was Jackie running through the snow being hunted by people. And I guess this will be a future scene uh, where, where she's uh, strung up and bled out, you know, uh, uh, like like uh, the, the ice truck killer. You know, from Dexter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought I thought all along through ten episodes that was Jackie, and here we find out Jackie fell asleep outside in the snow and died. That's you right. know, I, I well, didn't expect that. But, yeah. uh, Natalie uh, had blonde hair in the the old series or the '96 version of herself, right? Could have been her. Mm-hmm. Could have been her. But she's still alive, though. It's Juliette Lewis. It could have still been her running in that scene. Oh, 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 yeah. Someone currently, you mean, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I guess if I wanted to be critical of it, I would have thought that they would have shown more of the players at the high school reunion that they had. Like the lady that had her face, like, kind of chewed on by the wolf, mm-hmm. the redheaded girl. Well, did like, she survive in the future? Van? That's I don't the thing, think, Van. I don't I, think she survived. survive. Yeah, I I I assume she didn't survive. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody that you're not seeing in the present day version, uh, which is the majority of the characters in the island, the young cast, I think the majority of them are dead. There's only four of them that we've seen in present day. So that (laughs) 10 people died. Christina Ruby's character is diabolical, man. She fucking killed that reporter putting fentanyl on her cigarette. How about that? That was awesome. Ricci, so man. the ones who are alive in present day are Taisa, the ones who ran, who won state senator position. Mm-hmm. I just uh, hate her story in the present, like the the weird yeah. little boy and e- eating dirt. And, I just don't like that story at all. Yeah, I just don't what, care what's the deal with the weird sleepwalking, little eating dirt, and she's the lady in the tree. Yeah. That's why her son is scared of her. I assume. I, yeah. Well, it, I mean, uh, 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 spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> We find out that the, she killed a dog, and there's a heart in the basement. Right, <laughs> right. Like, the secret, the secret room, in, in the in the basement of the their mansion. Uh-huh. So Taisa, there's Natalie, who's played by Juliette Lewis, Misty, who's played by Christina Ricci, mm-hmm. Shauna, and well, I guess Travis, but he 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 hangs himself in episode five, I think. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, four, I guess, are the only ones we really see, right? And now we've seen Lottie, I, I think. Right? Was that, was that? didn't go. There's a chance the coach survived but didn't go to the reunion because he was a coach. Uh, he's dead. I think he's <laughs> that's, dead, that's too. My he, deal. I do, too, because he would have been easy easy pickings you oh. know, with only one well, leg. There one guy's there, too. I think it was Travis's brother that oh. also liked Nadia, mm-hmm. or Nat- Natalie, rather. Because he mentioned, yeah. like, they're looking at the uh, trophy case. And his wife interrupts him, but he also loves Juliette Lewis in the present. I'm pretty sure that's Travis's brother, right? The little brother? Is it? Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I was wondering what happened to him, so I, I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, I'm pre- Juliette Lewis fucked him in the present a couple episodes back. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Pretty sure that's the the little brother on the castaway of the, okay. the plane crash. Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I think he survived. Mm-hmm. Well, Beerman has a good question. Oops, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I had it too. <laughs> that was like good question. Yeah. 
He asks a uh, question for the people that binge watch. Would you rather have 10 one-hour shows or six or seven nightly, or excuse me, excuse me, six or seven slightly longer shows? I love the six to 10 episodes. Uh, yeah. And I don't mind, you know, I don't, I, I hate it when shows are constricted to a certain length because, and then they get become formulaic. You know, everything is scripted according to time. That's why I hate watching broadcast TV. You know, they got to have their little, you know, uh, cliffhanger thing so that you sit through the six minutes, eight minutes of fucking commercials. You know, that, that's not good storytelling. That's commercial storytelling. HBO and all these other show uh, uh, premium channels that have 50-minute episodes, 47-minute episodes, sometimes a little longer than an hour and stuff. Yeah. That's the way. That's, that's the freedom you want as a filmmaker and a storyteller. No constrictions on time. Let me tell my story, and that's it. That's the way it should be. But I get yeah. We don't know where Javi Javi is, the brother of Travis. That's the question from Matthew. Isn't that the guy I just said? I think that's him. Well, maybe it was the guy who got stormed in with Lottie at the end, right? Is that what you're saying, Danny? No, in the last episode, he's at the reunion and okay. he's talking to Juliette Lewis, and her his wife comes and interrupts. No, and that's like, Kevin. Get whatever it is that you that you need. That's Kevin. That's Kevin. That's Kevin. Oh. Okay, my bad. Then I was thinking that was the brother. That's my fault. How many times did you jerk off to yep. jackets, Dan? I, I don't jack off to like rated R. Fucking, I mean, it's it's got to be a little bit more something than that. I mean, when I was thirteen or something, I might have. Okay. Well, I just asked that because there's one cast member in that Yellow Jackets show that I I would if I you're right if I was younger I would be jerking off to her. I think she's so oh, damn but- pretty. Let me deviate and, and call an audible here. Mm-hmm. When we were doing I Have a Stream, which was Tilch's show, you know. Sure. And, and we, we covered Euphoria so, like, back-to-back every episode. Mm-hmm. And I was joking on air, like, oh, my God, yeah, yeah. Cassie. Cassie's fucking titties are amazing. Yeah, we didn't yeah. get to see her titties in season one. We just saw them just bursting wow. through her top. And we've seen them in two straight episodes. Nice. <laughs> her, her breasts are amazing. Cassie. Okay, See, so I'm, I, I, Euphoria. I, I guess oh, I'll be starting God. Euphoria again soon. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie's tits are. She is the hottest man. Man. Cassie is the hottest <clears throat> on that show. I am indeed uh, looking at her breast now, and I have to say those are very impressive. Oh, uh, they're fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. naked in season in episode one and two of season two. Well, let's keep there it is. up. Uh, make it three, four, and five. <laughs> they needed they needed ratings, although. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I I have watching a show, and I tell you, this is probably right up Dan Aguirre's alley. I think it's a great show. It's got me hooked after episode one. Uh, it's called Archive Eighty One on Netflix. And uh, man, I this is okay. It's it's hard to explain what it's about, but it is it's excellent. It takes place uh, in it's kind of I don't know if it it takes place at one time, but there's videotapes that take place at an earlier time it has this uh manhattan uh apartment building called the visser and events that occurred around there so flashback is that what you're talking about but video uh, on video so the guy the main character is a guy who restores or transfers videotape to digital 
Uh, that's his job. So uh, he, he's hired by a very strange company. The head of the company is played by Martin Donovan. Do you know this actor? Mm-hmm. Martin Donovan. Yeah. 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 Uh, Martin Donovan hires him to uh, uh, for a project. And he, he, you know, he's got to go to this remote location in in uh, upstate New York. Yeah, he's got this weird house all to himself. It's like a modern house. It's got, you know, a laboratory in the basement. And he's all by himself. It's high security. There's no internet. And he's got his lab, and he's taking apart these tapes and restringing them. And he's starts to get into what. Yeah, it's Martin Donovan, right? He's the weird owner of this company that hires him. Okay. So the the young man starts watching the tapes as he's putting them together. And it's uh, this this uh, woman mm-hmm. who uh, is filming the residents of this apartment building or co-op in, in Manhattan. And the strange characters that are in there may be a sex cult and they're having orgies. It's got a, it's got a lot of eyes wide shut kind of uh, uh, feel to it. And uh, they got, the guy who's putting the, the tapes together... Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's watching this this woman. The main, the main character is called Melody, and she's filming all these residents. She goes to a uh, this Puerto Rican lady who's a tarot card reader, and there's a little girl who has seizures that sees like you know visions and stuff. And uh, there's a weird uh, maintenance guy who says, "Don't go on the sixth floor." You know, there's all this weird stuff, and he's out at this uh, uh, house. And uh, he sees a, a, a person in a red jacket spying on him. He's like, I need to know. Am I the only person? I'm supposed to be the only person out here. I think there's someone else in the in that house with me, you know. And uh, he, he's watching these videotapes. He's putting it together. And Melody is abducted by these uh, heavies from, a, from an asylum. And his father is one of the guys. He sees his dad on, this vi- on these old videotapes. They were damaged in a fire. That's why he's restoring them. And he starts to get involved in this mystery. He wants to know what happened to the girl. What what's the story behind this tape? And you know who's the cult? You know whatever. And you know there's lots of weird characters. And it's right up Dan Acquire's alley. If uh, it's got enough weird, it's got a little like Twin Peaks kind of uh, eyes wide shut vibe to it. Man, it's good. So far, I would, so would far, be interested really in it. Unfortunately, I have to go. What? I'm sorry. I've got to go, and we had a big fucking snowstorm, so I have I've got to navigate myself to work too. So I mean, I really have to go now. Well, nobody's uh, gonna I, be calling nine one one on a night like tonight. <laughs> well, it's actually better than it was. The snow hit on Sunday, uh-huh. but it, it is uh, cool, man. I'm Monday, then we we're supposed to get two feet and only got about ten inches, uh, but it's still got- a shit show. So I got to get to work. I'm sorry, but yeah, the show sounds like something I would like. But I'm in season three of Mad Men, so I'm a long ways away before I can start something else. Any anything quickly you want to say about uh, Nightmare Alley before you go? Yes, I I don't have enough time. I really do have to go. Uh, thumbs the up or thumbs down? Uh, hopefully next week. All right, you'll, you'll <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down next week. All right, I love you, Danny. You, go save lives. All right, I love you too, man. You all be well. <laughs> all right. uh, we got 14 inches of snow here in Des Moines, man. I'll tell you, I. I my oh. back was so sore. I, I I was afraid I couldn't get my car out of the parking lot. It was like, you know, it was uh, it was rough, man. Fourteen inches. So yeah, it was. Uh, I we, my wife and I were pushing the car, pushing the car, go and get some, go and get some salt and cat litter, put it on the tires, baby. Turn the t- no, turn it the other way, honey. <laughs> that's where you get the car turned. Just get out of the driveway. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's some crazy stuff. Yeah, archive eighty one. Although uh, you'll get hooked immediately with the mystery. 
I will check it uh, out. It's creepy, man. And there's like, you know, like he's doing these, he's like watching and he's like, the little girl has a seizure. And there's like, it goes like kind of gray static. And the, the videotapes are shot like 80s, 90s, like when you had a camcorder. Sure. It's very, and it goes to Grant. There's this like devil face and stuff. He sees it scares the shit out of him. And he's like all alone in this house, a creepy house, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, he sees another person there. He thinks, you know, it, it, it he has these horrible dreams at night. You know, it's it's great, man. It's scary. It's yeah, Archive 81. Did, did you watch uh, Don't Look Up on Netflix? No, it's I have not seen that Leonardo one. DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Jennifer yeah, Lawrence. Not have seen that one yet. If yeah. you, you have if you want to laugh, man, it's funny. It's very funny. It's it's it makes fun of everything and everybody. We're uh, liberal, conservative. Uh, I love it. Media, social media. It it it's a uh, Adam McKay. I think is the yeah Adam McKay is the director. He did Step Brothers and all those films like Dan. Yeah, no longer talking to one another. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, let me uh, see if I can find the story. Go ahead and uh, tell us more about that show. Well, don't look back. It's, it's funny, man. It's uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is a uh, he's a, an astro- astro- astronomy professor at Michigan mm-hmm. State. Jonah Hill is in this movie also. He's very funny, uh, and Jennifer Lawrence is his is his PhD candidate student, and she discovers a comet coming out of the Oort cloud, and he he. She, but the two of them do these calculations, they get closer and closer and shit, this is going to impact the earth, you know? So they try to tell people and no one, you know, everyone's either covering it up or, you know, believing it. There's a, there's a crazy like tech giant played by Mark Rylance is a, a British actor. He's kind of like a Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, uh, okay. Bill Gates type weirdo who's uh, into these algorithms, algorithms that can predict everybody's, actions decisions and even how they die where they die and all this stuff there's some great lines and stuff meryl streep is like the pre- she's the president she's like uh the hillary clinton like she doesn't you know uh, look we got to cover this up nobody can know you know so they don't care they don't want to do anything to stop it you know they disbelieve it you know all stuff jonah hill's her son who's like her uh her uh advisor and he's hilarious <laughs> he's like he's uh yeah, uh, when when uh, they they put Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jennifer Lawrence on a um, you know no a gag order, they don't talk about this, you know. And Jennifer Lawrence is like, "Fuck you," you know. I'm you know I, I can't help it, you know. We're all gonna die, you know. So he was like, uh, he has like the FBI like grab her, put a bag over her head, and you know, spirit her away into witness protection. And, and like he's like talking to her uh, the next time he sees her, it's like, yeah, the FBI, you know, they don't. They don't put bags over people's heads. I, I made them do that. That was me. <laughs> you know, like, there's like those great lines and stuff. It's very funny, man. And the ending is great. There's uh the ending is hilarious, man. Well, don't like, give away uh, the ending because I'm yeah, I won't, but you gotta watch it. It's so it funny. Great. All right, here's a story between between Adam McKay and Will Farrell. Uh they had creative differences. They were both co-producing the new HBO series about the Los Angeles Lakers. Do you remember the title of that thing? It's called. Uh, I don't. Uh, it, it, have you heard of it? No, I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the name of it. Okay, yeah, the um, uh, HBO is producing an Adam McKay, uh, uh, Will Ferrell show uh, about the Lakers run under Magic Johnson and Jabbar. You know that that great time uh, that they had as a team that kind of transcended the sport and 
more people, you know, Hollywood had a lot to do with that. The fact that the lake is playing Hollywood, but yeah. in any case, uh, there was a, they had an argument whether on the casting of John C. Riley as Jerry Buss in, in the project, and so Will Ferrell did not think John C. Riley was the right person. McKay, uh, not surprising, overruled him, and then this this breakup between McKay and Ferrell. They're not even talking anymore, and so McKay on Van, on Vanity Fair magazine said, you know. This was a, a creative rift that we've that has been developing for years, and so it finally came to a head. So yeah, there's there's some drama behind the HBO show. I gotta find out the title of it. I mean, they've done so many movies together, though Talladega Nights, Step yeah, Brothers, you know, absolutely. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Right. Uh, it's called uh, Winning Time. Oh, I got a trailer. Uh, winning time, the rise uh, and fall of the Lakers. Let me see uh, if I can do this. Well, John yeah. C. Riley, a Chicago guy, I think. Yeah, he is. Great actor. I like him a lot. Yeah. Here comes a preview. There's two things in this world that make me believe in God. It's sex and basketball. You know? I'm sleeping. Her loss. I'm about to buy a team. <laughs> I want to build something special, a real dynasty. But I need a partner. First pick, 1979 NBA draft. Los Angeles Lakers select Irvin Magic Johnson. For me, it's going to be exciting. I don't know why basketball can't feel like that. To me, Dr. Bus. That looks fun. Man, good. Yeah, when does that start? I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that one, man. That looks awesome. Yeah, I think it starts <laughs> May sometime. That looks really nice. fucking good. <laughs> great, man. That's got a boogie nights feel to it. Yeah, it, it really does. That's a you great know? comparison. Um, it, uh, you know, nothing is going to beat The Last Dance, that 10 part documentary oh, on the Chicago yep. uh, yep. Bulls. Awesome. This, as a, as a one night entertainment thing, could, could be sure. up there matching it if i, if it I was, was watching a- uh recently i i, I think uh maybe it was espn plus but they had a little uh short uh clips on uh, uh the dream team and we first had mm-hmm. when that when the, we were first allowed to, to uh, have the nba players man that team was so freaking amazing it was like yeah, they yeah. were just embarrassing everybody now michael scotty Fucking Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Barkley, David Robinson, John Stockton. It was amazing, man. Just, yeah. just. Uh, I'd like to watch that again. You know, the run through the run through the Olympics. Th- that this whole thing brings to mind, you know, 
the the age old question: If you could make a movie or a TV series uh, with fictional actors, yeah. drama, or even a comedy about any sports team or sports era, do you have any ideas that pop into your head immediately? Like, you know, let's do a movie on the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears. I think a lot of people would yeah, find that. You know, you know, because there were a lot of stories behind the scenes, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure there were, players, you know, having lots of sex on one night. By the way, my mom was uh, a uh, head of housekeeping at the Conrad Hilton, which is where um, not head of housekeeping. I won't say that she was. She was a manager for a couple of floors. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, uh, the, the Bears that's their hotel that they would stay on, stay at on Saturday nights before a home game at Soldier Field. Sure. And uh, so she would go check out the fridges. She went to check out all of the rooms of the Bears players because she would swipe any knickknacks for me. Oh, here's <laughs> a from the game. Oh, here's a T-shirt that, that Wilbur Marshall wore. And stuff. Nice. So anyway, she said about the fridges room, William, the the refrigerator, Perry, is that there would be two cases of empty beer cans in the fridge's room. And she contends, this is my mom, God bless her. Uh, she contends that the fridge drank all of them by him, himself. And I go, how, how, how do you know that? She goes, because there were no signs of anybody else being in the room. So are, are you telling me how, how many beers uh, in a case of beer? That's 24, That's right? 24, yeah. So you're telling me he drank 48 and she says, well, there were some cans that weren't, you know, uh, uh, he didn't drink from 40 beers, 38 beers, whatever it was. He drank two cases of beer, the fridge. It's like 496 ounces. That is unfucking believable if he did that. And that's yeah. part, of, part of the movie. <laughs> the fridge right. In his room before a big game, wasted on beer and Having to pee. More than that, 576 ounces, right? Yeah. yeah. 576 so, ounces. So you got any ideas on a TV series or a TV movie? You, I'd uh, love you, to see the Dream Team, you know, from the Olympics. Oh, yeah. It would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's and see. I, and I agree with the fact that we need hard knocks in Chicago, which is not going to happen this upcoming season yeah. because the new coach. Definitely. And the Askies have been really fighting against it. But yeah. If hopefully the new general everyone Matt- would see what idiots they are. <laughs> exactly. 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 Finally, yeah. there'd be yeah. no doubt. That's anymore. right. That's right. All of a sudden, there's the, the cameras, the hard knocks camera yeah. catch these bozo clown suits in a locker. Hey, who belongs to these? Yeah. Oh, this is uh, George, George McCassidy. McCass- <laughs> Yeah, you can do a comedy on the Chicago Bears 2021 season. You really could. I mean, yeah. it was there was a lot of funny fucking shit. There's no do doubt. Players need mouth guards. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Something like that. Some shit yeah. like that. You got the, yes, you got they the need mouth guards. Arnie Fife type head coach. You know, Don Knotts plays that day here, uh, and you've got you know the the. Uh, the Invisible Man playing Ryan Pace. <laughs> you only see him Sundays for five minutes when he's answering questions uh, from uh, um, the Bears uh, paid-for announcer. Who, who is his name? What's his name? Uh, Bears radio play-by-play guy. 
I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Jeff Joniak. Jeff Joniak, excellent announcer, but man, does he throw him some softballs every every Sunday <laughs> on that pregame show? Yeah, for sure. Uh, do, you, uh, do you know when you left for a second? I asked uh, Dan the question of uh, would would you hire a GM first or a coach first, or does it matter to you? And you know why in either uh, event, either case. Any yeah, case. we're seeing teams take uh, different approaches to that. In uh, the teams that are looking for both a coach and GM. Certainly, I prefer that the GM be hired first. I do too. And in fact, I I prefer that Bill Polian lead the search for a general manager, get this shit over with as soon as possible in the next five days, and then go away, Bill, and let the GM totally choose his own coach. Stay right, out right. of the coach search. I mean, you're fucking wasting time. You are interviewing GMs and coaches. You're interviewing over 12 coaches right now. That's just taking time. Hire the GM and let that GM bring his person in. That's the way it should be done. That's yeah. another fucking reason why I just don't believe in Bill Folian. I don't think he's the right guy for this. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I, I It certainly uh, – yeah. I asked Dan, don't you think he's already got somebody in, in mind? He's Bill Polian, right? You think, right? Why, why aren't we hiring this guy already? Because pretty soon, you know, we're going to have last choice of the best guys. That, you know? That's but, the danger of it, right? Is yeah. that you're forced to pick your second or third or fourth candidate. Yeah, the first guy already took a job, so we better hurry this up. So right. we can later. I hope Second not Jim, Jim Caldwell. I mean, Jim Caldwell has like two or three chances already, hasn't he? Yeah. He was a coach. He was like an interim head coach a couple times. And, you know, I, you know so. he, he took the coach to the Super Bowl, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, my, my concern is, is that because um, I, I followed his coaching career at Detroit pretty closely, and there was just a lot of issues there. I mean, he had a winning record, and they were driving him out of town. <laughs> it's like – yeah, so I, I'm not. I don't know about Caldwell. I don't know. Right, about was he? Uh, uh, I forget who was the coach uh, in the Bears Super Bowl. You know when uh, we played the Colts. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. It was Tony Dungy. Tony, Dungy. Tony Dungy. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I thought I Caldwell. Like, Jim, Jim Caldwell went to the Super Bowl with the Colts or another team. I just don't remember. Yeah, I, I have to check that out. Let me uh, do a little research. Or was here. he just offensive coordinator? On a team, I don't know. Maybe. I'm sure someone yeah, has the. Uh, he was a former offensive coordinator, right, Jim Caldwell? Yeah. And do you really, you know, what the fuck did he do with Matthew Stafford other than pump up his fourth quarter stats? Right. He, where's Don Barr when you Don Burr when you need him? He could tell us all about uh, about Jim Caldwell, right? Was he head coach exactly. in the for the Lions, right? Right. Right. Um. All right, so Jim Caldwell is a two-time Super Bowl champ, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, Super Bowl. But as a coordinator, though, right? Or... Yeah, well, let me see. Super Tony Bowl. Dungy's coordinator for the Colts with Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're right. You are absolutely a right ho. Let me see. Wait a minute. Let's check the second one. Oh yeah, he was on yeah, the. the uh, he was on. Was he on the Ravens staff? Okay, yeah, yeah, he might have been on the Ravens. Yeah. Either way, I. I I just that's part of the reason I would love to see some new blood come in is because some of these retread guys have proven that they can't take them to the Super Bowl. 
And so they got a lot of old, old ideas. And this NFL now, there's so many new concepts that are being employed. And you so you look at the young Sean McVay coaching tree. These are the guys that are getting hired. These are the guys who, you know, you're kind of looking at for innovation in the game. Tooch, you know as well as anyone else, the game of football reinvents itself every football generation, yeah. eight, nine yeah. years. There's new ways of co- going about offenses. You go from the West Coast offense to the vertical offense, blah, blah, blah. And so what are we going to do? We're going to hire a veteran coach who's – uh, claimed the glory yeah. is running an offense that was popular four years ago and is no longer popular. That's my concern. That's the danger. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, uh, in, a, in, a, in the case of like with the guy for Har- like with Harbaugh, for example, you have to hope that he hires the right offensive mind that is, you know, of the new school, mm-hmm. you know, and, and is, is uh, into the, you know, the new philosophy of how you're beating modern defenses you know, that, right now. that is so true because it, and that famous infamous for Bears fans, uh, 49ers, uh, Bears Monday night football game where Colin yeah. Kaepernick made his debut. All of a freaking sudden, uh, Jim Harbaugh came, uh, show, uh, displayed an offense that the NFL had not seen before. This was a quarterback who was running the, the ball down the Bears' throat, and then when the Bears were sucked in by his running, he would throw it right over the linebackers' heads for explosive play after explosive play. That was Jim Harbaugh adjusting to the talent that he had in Colin Kaepernick. It was brilliant. So a, a veteran coach like that who has displayed the ability to adapt uh, with the personnel that he has and blah, 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 that to me makes perfect sense, but there aren't a lot of guys like that. No, no, I know that. That's like I said. Uh, there, I was looking around the NFL. Like I said, there's only a few, a few coaches, and mm-hmm. well, more than twenty five percent of the teams are looking for coaches. You know, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, and I, I don't even know if, if if there's a guy like that in college either. You know, yeah. it's just it's a bad time to be without a head coach. That's why I would have liked to. Nagy should have been fired two years ago. We would have two year jump start on this. You're right. uh, You were right when you were calling for it two years ago. Absolutely. But we'll see. I mean, I'm looking at uh, you know the 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 teams that are still you know in the in the hunt. You've got uh, Zach Taylor with the Bengals, who uh, he's received some criticism, but his Mm -hmm. offense sure is working good. The defense is okay. Uh, You know, like you said, Joe Burrow really had a good season. I'm kind of when he when he played against the Bears, he did not have a good game. You know, that game when, when we played against the Bears. You know, yeah, was it was looking, early in the season. You right. know, he was just coming off this injury, so you can kind of excuse that. I mean, yeah. that was the Bears' best win of the season. And But, I mean, uh, if we had Jamar Chase, you know, Justin Fields probably would have had a pretty damn good season too. You know I mean? That was the guy I want. One guy I want. Number one, my my number one wide receiver was, just, was Jamar Chase, man. If you watch his tape. I was a little know, worried about him because then he, he that missed out of year. that season, right? Yeah, so I was a little worried about him. And remember in preseason, he was dropping pass after pass yeah. after pass. But then yeah. around game two or game three, all of a sudden, and that duo of Burrow and Chase, that's yeah. that's the next 10, 15 years. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah, and that, you know, uh, I do the, the Max of Med Sports Wagering Show with Anthony Iglesias. And uh, he, he he said, uh, next year, the Bengals, man, watch out. I agree. Have- They'll be they'll be a team that's going to be contending for the AFC Championship. I don't think they'll get there this year. You know, Buffalo, 
And the thing with, with Buffalo and, and New England, I, I interviewed Matt Peralt. I don't know if you know Matt Peralt. He's a longtime radio. He does uh, the Daily Juice on, on betting pros. Okay. And, uh, we were to, he came on, he came on my show to, to talk New England Buffalo. And uh, we were, were talking. I, I asked him, uh, you know, whether, whether the Patriots lose or win on Saturday versus the Bills, it's a success for the, it's a successful season. Because I mean, nobody expected the the Patriots to turn around this fast with a rookie quarterback and make the playoffs, you know. And they contended for their division, but the Bills, you know, they're like two years ahead of the Patriots. They're built to win now. Mm-hmm. I said, I, 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 uh, I said, I like the Bills minus four and a half, man. I'm telling you, I know he's a Patriots fan and stuff, and uh, uh, we we begrudgingly gave out my free pick as Bills minus four and a half on the show, but man. <laughs> 47 to seven. I didn't expect Belichick to get blown out, but he's got, like I said, their team, their team's ahead of schedule, but I mean, it, it was, uh, it's still in that rebuilding kind of phase and, right. and the bill, the bills who look pretty damn good uh, are, are right where they were supposed to be with uh, that offense. Think, you know, the deal with Mac Jones is that, you know, there's a lot of tape on him now. And so NFL defensive coordinators started figuring out, okay, this, this is, this yeah. is pretty simple. I mean, the guy still can't read defenses as well. You know, he's, he's still a rookie. Stop the run and let him beat us with his arm, and it's just not going to happen at this point in his career. Pretty simple stuff. I'm, frankly, I'm surprised. Uh, not, I'm really not surprised. Uh, uh, Mac Jones had an excellent, excellent rookie season. Excellent. I'm surprised that people are surprised by that, you know, Everybody should have known that this guy was the most NFL-ready quarterback in last year's draft and that he was going to uh, contend with Trevor Lawrence for the rookie of the year. That's the way I saw it, you know, Uh, with the the mess in Chicago where they couldn't, you know, they bring in Andy Dalton and immediately anoint him the number one. There was just no fucking chance that Justin Fields had an opportunity to win most valuable player because he didn't have the number one job from the get-go. Uh, uh, and Fields, uh, excuse me, Mac Jones earned it really quickly. Like it was in a second week of preseason, they released Cam Newton, and, and Mac Jones was given the job. Trevor yeah. Lawrence had it the, the very night of the draft when the an- announcement came in. He was a yeah. number one. And so, you know, uh, Mac Jones was primed for six, immediate success, immediate success, and he achieved that. But after a while, the NFL defensive coordinator said, oh, okay, we know how to stop this guy. So right. now he's going to make that leap, Mac Jones does, and see what he can do as a true, you know, so almost veteran, a two-year guy, and, and right. see right. if he can have any of that similar success that he had at Alabama. Because that Alabama tape of Mac Jones, I was impressed with. And everybody, yeah. people would say, oh, well, he's got all these great receivers. He's throwing to wide open gaps. That wasn't the case all the time. That wasn't the case. Yeah, he had what? great receivers all the time. He doesn't he have – much in New England in the form of wide receivers, you know, he's throwing to Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, you know, guys who they're like third wide receivers on any other team, you know, second or third wide receivers. Great point. You know, get him some, get him uh, some of the guys, uh, you know, uh, coming out next year and, you know, uh, get him the next Jamar chase, if there is one, you know, Mm -hmm. and and Mac Jones would probably be pretty good. You know, I mean, he had, he, he did great with the, the, Alabama wide receivers, you know, those mm-hmm. guys are all in the NFL now, you know, Waddle and uh, Smith. 
they're uh, you know that's all he needs really. He needs they've got good tight ends in New England. They need a they need a stud running back and some wide receivers, so they'll be fine. Yeah, because the defense uh, has has legs. They they should be good yeah. for a few more years. You know yeah. the, the whole thing about uh, uh, McDaniel, Josh McDaniel, the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, yeah. everybody praising him and praising him for altering his offense. You know, for the personnel that he had, and sure. That's what would make him a great head coach for the Bears or other teams because he he really you know uh, strategizes for the personnel. I gotta wonder because given the uh, coaching tree and the lack of success of the Bill Belichick coaching yeah. tree, I gotta wonder is, is this really a, a Josh McDaniel thing or is it a Bill Belichick? I mean, I I have this picture of Bill Belichick. Coming into the offensive coordinator's office is okay. Let's talk about the game plan. And Josh is saying, "Well, I think we can throw the ball like 20, 25 times." And and uh, and Belichick just grabbing the playbook away. I'll do it. And he comes back with yeah. an offense. That- you get three passes. All the rest are runs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. No, but I mean, uh, I think I think a lot of what you say is true. I, I think also Mac Jones was the quarterback that could was most ready and most able to run. Josh McDaniel's system too, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, uh, he's got a lot of like qualities that Brady esque, you know. Not, yeah. You know, we can't. We it's too early to compare him to Brady, but he's kind of the same kind of player. Not not very, very athletic, smart. Very puts the ball where uh, where the players could do something with it. Accurate and smart. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I, you know, those early Super Bowl wins they were not because of Tom Brady. That was, you know, defense for the Patriots won the the first Super Bowl, if I re, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, and then the second one was just kind of a, a a a team win, and it was, you know, Brady took a while to become Tom Brady. Uh, that early success that he had was was much more due, in my opinion, to great teamwork and is more Belichick. Um, yeah. I'm trying to look at I'm trying to find Brady. You know that, he had uh, Randy Moss too for a time. Tom Brady. And I remember he was upset at the time because he he foregold money uh so that he could give back to the team and the team could invest it in offensive weapons. And to me, that's that's a mark of a great fucking leader. You know, I'm gonna say no to a couple of million dollars because winning Super Bowls is much more important to me. And by the way, I got a wife who's making more money than I yeah. ever will. <laughs> so, um, but I remember him being angry for a while that they didn't invest that money quickly to obtain a, a quality free agent wide receiver until they brought in Randy Moss. And what did they do that season? I mean, they, they that was a record-breaking quarterback season. Didn't he throw for like 5,000 yards that season? Yeah. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah, that's another movie, right? The Tom Brady experience. Yeah, it will be for sure. Yeah, Tom Brady story. If you got, if you have a Kurt Warner story, you got. I'm sure there'll be a Tom Brady story. Right? Absolutely, and it's got to be a heart rated hard R, <laughs> unlike the uh, Kurt Warner story, which was rated G for, for general audiences. <laughs> right. I mean, we got to see a scene with uh, with Robert Kraft getting a, a jerk off <laughs> in the side We got to find out what's behind Tom Brady kissing his son on the lips. We got to find out what. <laughs> 
That's all about. They won't show uh, Robert Kraft because I'm sure somewhere like Deshaun Watson was in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, isn't that funny? It's true. I never thought about that. Uh, you know, thinking about like which coaches are, you know, Belichick obviously near the top, if not the top. Mm-hmm. You know, people, of course, put uh, Sean Payton up there, always, always uh, fairly successful. Mike Tomlin is another guy that always has a competitive team. Uh, and uh, um, Andy Reid is probably another one up there near the top of, of successful coaches in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Bruce Arians, maybe. You know, but after that, the, the list is pretty short, man. I agree. Right? There, I there's, agree. there's not much. I'm trying to – I guess John Harbaugh is well-regarded. Mm-hmm. That's basically six coaches, you know, and 26, you know, guys. I don't know. Maybe the chat room could help yeah. me out. Maybe I'm, I'm missing, yeah, missing I, uh, uh, somebody. But... We need to revisit that topic. I want to do a little research on that because that's Pete a, that's Carroll, a... I guess maybe you could put up there. See, Pete Carroll, I think his best days are behind him. His best days are behind him, though. Yeah. I but, mean, uh, again, I hate to sound like an ageist, but, you know, yeah. I, once you're in your 80s, <laughs> I think I, I think I named all of them. Although I don't, there's not. I mean, can you can you call? I mean, Dan, Dan, tell Dan McGuire to cover his ears. Can you call the Green Bay Packers coach a good coach? I don't think you can. Yeah, yeah, I, I do I think mean, that he he deserves he's okay. some credit. But you know, a lot of it's Aaron Rodgers, but I think he's oh, he without a doubt. You yeah. know, but the thing is, is Mike McCarthy only won one Super Bowl with with Aaron Rodgers. He should have won. He lost more. in the first round. Right. So if Matt Lafleur wins a Super Bowl this year, then he gets respect uh, from me because yeah. I, I remember in back in the old days of the NFC North barroom, I used to do a podcast with yeah. uh, a guy out of uh, Wisconsin, and we had a debate one night about Mike McCarthy. I dared to bring up the idea that hey, maybe Mike McCarthy is overrated, and that's why. Uh, that's why uh, he is. Then, though. Well, at the time, this was five, six years ago. And my buddy is saying, you know, fuck you. And we, we were at it during a podcast. And, and I had to like tone it down. Hey, I'm just kind of suggesting the idea. I'm not making any claims. But it is definitely true. Mark McCarthy got away with murder. Uh, you know? What was that? I, when I, he- I love the 49ers in that game. I got to tell you. Yeah. Do you? I had played the 49ers plus three. That was, I thought, a pretty easy play. I mean, the 49ers are a dangerous team. Now, they've got some injuries on defense, but they match up with a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's holding them back is uh, fellow Arlington Heights native Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G, yeah. Jimmy G, the, you know, if he makes some dumb dumb passes, he had a couple dumb passes uh, Oh my in God. the last in game. In the second but, half, he just looked totally opposite of what he did in the first half. Yeah, the offense is great. The running game, Shanahan always has a great run game, that run system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like like people are saying in the chat room, I mean, there's, what, six? Six coaches, you know, mm-hmm. that are you would want, you know, from the current coaches that are uh, employed. Yeah, but after that, I mean, uh, the Bears are fighting. My point is, the Bears are fighting an uphill battle because there's not a lot of guys. It's almost a needle in a haystack. That's right? why they got to find that needle. It's that young <laughs> Sean McVay coach. He's out there. I you yeah, know, I, and I I feel like um, Bill Polian is not going to be as receptive to the young. Uh, uh, that's my fear. Uh, you know, mastermind. And watch, you know, let's see what happens in two or three years. There's going to be some teams that are going to hire a young 
you know, potential mastermind and the bears will hire an old veteran. And then that mastermind guy is going to be the Sean McVay. John Fox. Uh, <laughs> right. Bring it. Towel lock instead of monkey. <laughs> ah, that is so true. It is so true. I'm afraid that's what's going to happen or that it is going to be a Bill Polian buddy. You know, in that uh, athletic article, I don't know if I read that one portion. I, I highlighted a couple of portions on. Uh, all right. So a team source. This is, again, uh, the article by Kevin, uh, excuse me, Adam Johnson, Kevin Fishbang in The Athletic that details the Chicago Bears problems over the last few years, several years. And so this is a portion from that article in The Athletic. The Ernie Arcosi thing was a disaster waiting to happen, a team source said. Chicago picked four finalists for the GM job. Pace, Chiefs Director of Player Personnel, Chris Ballard, Texans Director of Player Personnel, Brian Gain, and Titans Vice President of Football Operations, Lake Dawson. Ballard, a former Bears scout, appeared to be an easy decision hire, but sources said Ballard had two requests. One, he wanted to report directly to McCaskey instead of going through Phillips. By the way, this is not an article. Oh, they're going to be doing that this year. Number two, he wanted to move on from Cutler. Ballard was offering the franchise an opportunity for a reboot. Yeah. That's the way it should be done. All right, let me yeah. continue. But the Bears didn't want to take it, choosing to go with Pace instead. One source suggested that Ballard, Yes, man. Yes, exactly. One source suggested that Ballard's ties with Jerry Angelo and Phil, Phil Emery hurt his case, that the team wanted a fresh start from the past. Now, if that's true, I can understand the thinking on the part of the McCaskies. Let, a little bit more here. But there's more to the whole story. A former employee said the whole thing stunk. Check this out, John. It's a good old boy thing. Ryan Pace was a recommendation from Saints general manager Mickey Loomis. Loomis and Ted Phillips are tight. Sean Payton wanted Pace to be general manager. Ernie Arcosi and Sean Payton are connected. There was a reason Pace was interviewed last. Good stuff, again, from The Athletic. Uh, behind yeah. the scenes look at uh, that who, whole who was the author of that piece uh, uh adam johns and adam kevin johns. it's and a it's, sure. it's a long long two story guys who would know yeah exactly two excellent guys in the know yep. i wish they would have reported shit like that earlier though <laughs> right <laughs> where have that been hiding all along yeah, you're right, right? right? <laughs> now that they're fired we can reveal yeah. yeah now that they're fired moratorium lifted <laughs> exactly yeah it's exactly. all right you know, you, you you worry about things like that repeating itself again because you know they, Chris Ballard. I had, I had heard back then when he was interviewing for the Bears job that he wanted to yeah get rid of trade Cutler for a draft pick, you know, and 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 basically he he said we're gonna you know get rid of some of these over overpriced star players on the roster. We're gonna bottom out. You know, probably like a two-win season, one-win season, two-win season, and then we'll have draft picks. We'll be able to rebuild. It's going to take you know three to five years before we get back into contention. And the McCaskies were like, "No, we're not. We're not doing that." You know, but that's really what you have to do. And, you know, I and, totally and, agree. 
That's what you got to do. Let me ask you this, Tooch. How does this factor into the equation? So, George McCaskey, there, I, don't, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that there's nothing that he wants more is to win a Super Bowl so sure. that his mom could witness it. Yep. And so it that ain't happening. <laughs> that, so that might be part of the problem. He's looking. Yeah. He's always trying to find that quick solution. Yeah. When in fact, what he should do is a total rebuild, yep. build not for immediate success, build for sustained long-term success. And that usually takes two or three years, but he yep. wants yep. to win for mom right away. And so that's been part of the problem the last several years. He should have done that in 17. Should have done that in 17. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. When, when uh, Chris Ballard said, okay, I'll take the job, but two things. Yeah. And one of them is getting rid of Jay Cutler and therefore losing out, you know, paying a quarterback uh, tens of millions of dollars. I mean, this was how much yeah. that three years of guaranteed was like 60 million or uh, I'm drawing a blank on that, but whatever it was, hey, eat it, eat yeah. it, and uh, and let's start. Not winning anything with Cutler. Exactly. Exactly. Now, maybe yep. you, maybe Chris could have at least said, oh, well, you know, give me a year with Jay because there, there weren't – that was the draft. Uh, Brian Pace's first draft, the two quarterbacks that came out were Marcus Mariota. And who was the other guy? He was also a, a, a somebody who didn't work out. Uh, but that, that draft just oh, didn't have good quarterbacks. I think that was the draft, though, with Dak Prescott in the fourth round. Yeah, who was the other guy? Mariota was second. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, no, no, no. It wasn't uh, Marcus. Somebody in the chat room, come to the rescue. Jameis Winston. Jameis. Yeah, uh, PJ's got it. Yeah. PJ, you win. I wish I had something to give you, but you win. (laughs) Marcus Mariota, currently the backup in Oakland, or Las Vegas, I mean. Sorry, I always call them Oakland. It's like I call the Chargers San Diego Chargers still. Absolutely. Keep calling them Oakland. That's that's the way they should be referred to. Las Vegas. They they are and will forever be, from now on, the Las Vegas Oakland Raiders. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, Chris Ballard probably uh, – his plan was a little too smart for the McCaskies. Right, it really was. But you know? from, from that standpoint, though, I, I maybe Chris should have said, all right, I'll keep Cutler another year because this is the draft, Winston and Mariota, and we don't have the first or the second round pick, and I'm not sure it would be worth trading up for any of these two guys. So yeah, maybe yeah. you know, maybe Chris was a little too stubborn there. We don't know, but uh, I, I feel like even if you would have got um, – Brian Hoyer or somebody like that, because unfortunately, and I hate to say this because I do like Jay in many respects, but unfortunately, Jay okay. just wasn't a good leader. Uh, okay. There were so many people in the clubhouse that did not like him. The fact that your team leader, Brian Erlacher, and you can't get along, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And uh, Erlacher um, was, was more valuable to the Bears than uh, Cutler proved to be. That's for sure. Oh man, it, we're we're in, we're in a situation here. Aldo, it's like I have, I have zero confidence. But, yeah, I'm I'm pretty low down there right now. Get prove yeah. me wrong. Prove so I said me. last uh, last show. You know, we got an octogenarian. You know, uh, Ted, George, and uh, Soup and Tanisha. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I don't consider this the top of uh, of football minds in the NFL. No, you know, 
So, so I do believe that it's a good idea. I had a debate with uh, Mikey Betts um, on uh, social media about this. I do believe that it's a good idea to have someone in the search committee who has a diversity and inclusion background because, you know, I'll give you an example. Leslie Frazier, I, I said the story on uh, the Greg Gabriel Talks Football Show. Leslie Frazier, when he was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, Chris Cluey, the punter, was asked that uh, people knew that he was for open, uh, what's it called, open sex marriage or uh, one same sex, same sex. Sorry, uh, they knew, so they asked him to make you know some commercials and to talk about it and so forth. And so he did, and he did it with the blessing of the owner. But Leslie Frazier didn't know that, and so he called Chris Cluey into his office and said. Uh, I would prefer you don't do that. You don't talk about that. We don't need we don't need to talk about that. And so Leslie Frazier backed down when Chris Cluey told him, yeah, but I talked to the owner and he said it was good. He, in fact, he encouraged me to keep doing it. And so long pause by Leslie Frazier. He's he's touching his brow. They got a new they got a new puncher the next day. No, it wasn't that quite that fast. <laughs> so he said he responded by saying, I've been overruled. So okay, go ahead. And so it wasn't until about a year and a half later that they got rid of uh, Chris Cluey. So this this is hopefully she's an expert at diversity. She should ask the question, how would you handle that situation today? There you go. And so yeah. you want to see how Leslie would handle that because yeah. more and more. Uh, she, I guarantee you she's there to ask those questions. I hope so. I mean, and uh, Greg Gabriel thinks that she's there more to learn because she's an up and coming uh, uh, rising star in the organization. And so they want to give her the experience of having that, which is cool too. But I, I, I do think that there is value in asking questions from different perspectives that, guys like Bill Polian and Ted Phillips uh, and George McCaskey might not think of asking. George McCaskey will be in the interviews, I assume. I think all five of them are. Uh, mentioned those three and uh, uh, what's his name? Campbell Soup. Yep. Soup Campbell. And uh, you know, uh, you think George McCaskey will post, pose some hypotheticals to the candidates? <laughs> I think he will with Elliot Wolf because of his uh, his desire to beat Green Bay. Because so, he was like, I don't answer hypotheticals. Oh, that's right. In his press conference. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Lamar. Lamar Soup Campbell, Lions uh, special teamer. Mm, that's right. That's right. So people are asking, well, why is he uh, in the – uh, interviews. Well, I think it's good to have somebody who is, he's yeah. the head of I player. player. Right. Yep. And so he can ask questions from a player perspective and he mm -hmm. can offer input uh, to the, the decision makers and say, here's what I say that uh, what I saw in this interview, that would be really good for the players. When this candidate said this, 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 or the opposite, you know, when this candidate says this, 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 that's not going to sit well with players. I'm going to tell you that right now. So that's good. So I think that, you know, having the uh, uh, Tanisha Wade and Soup Campbell, I think having them as a part of the, the, the interview process, I think there's a lot of value to that. I really do. So while you're out, also we were talking about uh, how long the Bears list is of, of head coaches and uh, uh, GMs, 
I mean, it's like 50 people, you know, 20 on 20 GMs, 20 coaches. The list is long. Yeah, that's why I say Bill Polian should be should have been responsible just for the GM and, and get that thing over in a week or two. So that right. the GM and, then, hire- and then let the GM hire the coach. But uh, I mean, uh, and, you know, I, we're looking for that needle in the haystack anyways, you know, because if you hire the coach mm-hmm. ahead of time, you know, uh, and then you hire, you know, you've got to hire a GM who's going to be his boss. Hey, can you guys work together and mm-hmm. such, you know, whether this way it's like, then the GM is, you know, in, he's in the next interviews. Yes. Know? I don't know. I don't know how the bears are going to handle it, to be honest. They, hey, might, be, they might be going on simultaneously. Right. You know? And when you have uh, a certain person in an organization reporting to somebody else, it's important to get that somebody else to be a part of the interview. You know, because you you are arranging a marriage. How how the fuck are you gonna know that this GM is gonna get along with this coach? You're 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 gonna assume based on what this guy said in a separate interview and that person said in a separate interview. You're gonna assume that there could be a marriage there. The easiest way yeah. to the better way to ensure good, I'd say collaboration between GM and coach is to have the coach in on the interviews or make the decision himself. Do I like Flores? I think Flores is okay. I I mean, I wouldn't be unhappy with Flores. I I, th- I mean, I I think he's an okay coach, man. I think he's good good defensive mind. I I just I don't, it all depends on who he hires around him. Does it worry you that there are reports that him and Tua Tagovailoa, right. I was mispronounced that didn't uh, get along or Correct. Does that worry you? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You got a head coach who uh, is not getting along with your franchise quarterback. Are, yeah. You know, didn't we just go through that? So if that yeah. were to happen here with Flores and, and Fields, it's like, again, yeah, yeah. that's that yeah. whole. Yeah. You Guess know, which guy team. won out over there? <laughs> Flores. <laughs> they, they kept the quarterback. Kept the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Flores has a lot going for him, a lot yeah. going for him. But there are issues with him not getting along with players, him not him micromanaging his assistant coach, yeah. which is why there was such a turnaround. So that's a concern. Adeptus says Flores has severe weaknesses, his yeah. lack of connections to be able to hire a prime offensive corner that can actually get this shit offense moving. Great point. Yeah. Great point. You know, that's one of yeah. the first questions you ask a head coaching candidate is okay, who would you bring in? as your coordinators and assistant coaches. And that's the bottom line because you need a guy. You have Justin Fields now. Mm-hmm. You drafted him. You've got to find a coach that's going to maximize his talent. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a head coach or an offensive coordinator, then you needed the GM to put weapons around him, build enough talent around him, whether it's offensive line, defensive line, all that stuff. That's what they're looking for. My my fear is like this list is so long. They could be interviewing guys. Other teams could be hiring guys. Right. You know, pretty soon the list is growing smaller, and you've got to, you know, pretty soon you're 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 choosing the smallest fish. Yeah, <laughs> it's a concern. I you know, I yeah. I hope they get this right, but I'm I am very concerned. People say, oh, well, they're just being thorough. You know, I, I, that brings me back to my comment that doesn't. Don't you think Bill Polian's already got a GM in mind? I do. You know, he's part of the good old boy network. And there's some good old boy who's telling Bill Polian, hey, this guy, this is, you know, he's a he's a good old boy too. <laughs> this is the guy. See, that's the right? thing, though, Tooch, is that, that's a great point because the fact that he's casting such a wide net. 
yeah. tells me maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is going okay. into this with a wide open mind because why would he waste his time? I mean, he's not being paid by the hour. <laughs> I'm sure the man said, here's a million dollars. Go yep. find as a GM and a coach. He's not, getting, yep. he's not getting paid by the day. Consult one consult million dollar consulting fee. Exactly. Exactly. You know, take your time. Exactly. <laughs> totally exactly. And, you know, you're not going to get yep. more money if you do it in three days. It's the same way you take three days or 30 days. So the fact that he's casting such a wide net leads me to believe that perhaps he is approaching this with a, uh, a huge open mind. I mean, he can't yep. be interviewing all these people for show. That would be such a scam. God damn. <laughs> Everybody oh, seems to like Brian Dable. I think he's the next, uh, you know, head yeah. coach. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I, I, I can watch his the job that he did with Josh Allen. I think was a pretty good job. And the offense put up forty-seven points on Belichick's defense. I, I don't know how good of a leader he is. Uh, Greg, Greg Gabriel would know, right? Yeah, Greg says that he's heard that Brian Dable does not interview well. Okay. He he loves Brian Dable. He as a coach. Dable, yes. Uh, Dable and Bowles are his top two candidates. But that he's heard that Dable does not interview well uh, when he's gone for other jobs. So well, Todd, Todd Bowles' defense looked pretty good. Of course, like I said, the uh, he they were playing Jalen Hurts, who you know looked mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know like it was his first game, let alone his first playoff game. Same well, with Kyler Kyler Murray. Yeah. You know, Kyler Murray, he, you know, he had the yips. He was 20. He's a 24 year old kid in his first playoff game. Yep, exactly. You know, yeah. and he made some dumbass throws, and, and Vance can, Joseph had the scheme. And we can expect to see that from Justin Fields when he makes it to his first playoff yep. game. You know, absolutely. Hopefully, that opens real soon. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. That's what we're going to see. Justin Fields' first playoff game, he's probably going to make a dumbass pass like Kyler Murray made out of his own end zone. That flip. Oh, was that was the shortest interception return in NFL history. It was like a one-half yard return. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was actually not watching the game when that happened. I oh, they, somebody scored. So I'm rewinding. As I'm rewinding, I see this throw from the end zone. I go, holy shit. <laughs> I, I knew the Rams were going to win that game. I was no, There was no doubt in my mind. Were they going to cover three and a half points? Yeah, that was the thing. So I was, was I conservative? I was like, man, I should put 10 units on this game. I know they're going to whip the, the Cardinals, beat them at their, you know, that's a, and then you know, fourteen nothing go by. I was like, why didn't I put more money on it? Ah, you know, <laughs> well, I'll take the win. But I mean, I, that was a that was a golden opportunity to lay you know ten twenty units on the game. Same mm -hmm. with the Bills game. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was all it was all faith. The favorites, with the exception of the 49ers, the favorites all won and covered mm -hmm. uh, over the weekend. So for me, I, I was like five and zero oh in the NFL because I I was like I think the favorites are going to win. You got the Eagles. They don't, you know, they're not going to do it. You know, they're going against Brady, mm -hmm. and you got basically a rookie quarterback. You know, the the the, the Buccaneers should cruise in that one. Then the Bills, you know, like I said, the Bills are built to win now. They are, you know, and I, I thought they could easily cover uh, against uh, against the Patriots. So, so who do you like this week? Um, let's do like a rapid fire thing. All yep. right. Rapid. All right, let's get over there for. Uh, let me get to my page here and get the uh, games for next week. Yeah. We got oh, Cincinnati yeah. at Tennessee. Yeah, uh, Cincinnati, a three and a half point dog. I'm gonna lean Tennessee. I like Tennessee. At, they're seven and two at home, straight up, six and three against the spread. Mm -hmm. The Bengals are six and two against the spread on the road. But man, like it's like 
here's here's where we got. You got Derrick Henry coming back on the Tennessee uh, Titans. You got a good, very good defense for the Titans. Uh, I think Cincinnati will be close. I don't know if they'll have uh, enough to. This will this will probably be uh, one one of the more uh, closer games, I think. But uh, I, I think uh, Tennessee will cover three and a half. I think. I don't think I don't think Tennessee will blow it out. You like Cincinnati? I uh, know. I'm writing this down. I need I need advice. Okay. <laughs> I, I've got one winner of my last twenty bets, so I need advice. <laughs> right, and then you got San Francisco Green Bay Saturday. You got uh, San Francisco getting six points, which I like. But I'll tell you, the injury to Fred Warner and, and Nick Bosa, you know, on that San Francisco defense. Uh, Eileen Green Bay and and freaking Aaron Rodgers, I think. You give me Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo, I got to take Aaron Rodgers. Six points, I don't think it's a lot. I yep. think Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, can, they're going to have to stop the run, mm-hmm. you know, of San Francisco. But I think uh, the Packers, you know, uh, they're not terrible against the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 11th in the NFL against the run, 9th against, 10th against the passer. Green Bay has got an underrated defense, and uh, they get Zadarius Smith back, who's a good pass rusher. I probably lean Green Bay there. Um, then you've got the Rams at Tampa Bay, and I think this will be the upset. I like, I really, man, if the Rams play, play like they did, I hate to go against Tom Brady, but his defense is not that good right now. Uh, they've got some injuries on the offensive line with with uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, who, who's, uh, who's That's there. That's a big loss. I... If, yeah, if he yeah, doesn't I... play. There's I... a chance. He says he, he has a chance of playing. Right, and I hate to go against Tom Brady. The three points isn't a lot, man. I, I, I think uh, that. I mean, the the Rams have got some weapons. That'll this will be the best game to watch. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I would like to root for San Francisco against the uh, Patriots. I mean, against the Packers. I may I take San Francisco plus six points. I mean, I, it might that might be a good teaser because what you want to do is tease that game up. You're teasing yeah, up their cool. seven, ten, and eleven points. So those are key numbers. You're mm-hmm. teasing that game up, you know, six points. You could get San Francisco plus twelve. Can San Francisco keep that game within twelve points? I think so. I mean, I can. I can also see Green Bay blowing them out too. You yeah. know, if they if they, but they haven't really blown a lot of people out. And then you got Buffalo at Kansas City. Uh, man, I Buffalo that Buffalo defense is something. They they struggled for the first half against Pittsburgh. Well, also mm-hmm. a good defense, man. I I, I kind of like Buffalo in this one, um, so I, I I don't know. That's gonna be a, that's a tougher one to to cap. That's a Sunday night game, uh, Buffalo at Kansas City. I tell Kansas, you what, Tooch, all yeah. all of these games look like they're gonna be fun. They're oh good. yeah. Right, I mean, Buffalo yeah. defense versus offense. Bengals yeah. against the number one seed Tennessee, but it's the Bengals that have been playing more like a number one seed than the Titans, at least right. you know, from the limited regular season games I saw towards the last half of the season. As you said, that Rams Bucks game might be the most entertaining game to watch uh, of this weekend, and then. You know, anytime the Packers are playing, I'm interested in it because I'm always hoping that the opposing team is going to beat the shit out of them. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the Bengals and Titans are both hot. They both come in winning four of their last five. Mm -hmm. Um, The the thing that worries me about the Bills in Kansas City is that you got that first time. Yeah, I mean, not first time, but I mean, the young quarterback at KC has been to the playoffs a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, Buffalo was there last year. It's a rematch of last year's uh, AFC title game right right the buffalo kansas city 
so that uh, Buffalo will be uh, will be uh, angry. They'll be wanting to get that victory. Uh, that, 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 this is the shortest spread. It's two points, you know, for mm-hmm. Buffalo on the road, which means at a neutral site, they like Buffalo favored by you know minus one. So uh, that's the way they've set the line on this one. It hasn't moved. Still sitting at two. In fact, uh, all these lines pretty much have not moved yet. So it'll be interesting to see how the lines move during the week. That'll tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, which team to bet on. So uh, tell me, uh, Mike has explained this to me before, but I kind of forgot. When the line moves dramatically, that's because a lot of people are betting on a certain team. And, and Vegas's goal is to try to have – yeah. Equal money bet on each team. Yeah, equal, they want to have equal money on either side. That way, when one team loses, they're still making ten percent on gotcha. the juice. You know, gotcha. so it's it's when they get burned. You know, when when uh, all the money is on one team and that team wins. Mm-hmm. You know, and they uh, they love the upset as well. You mm-hmm. know, because uh, they've got uh, they've got uh, you know everybody hedged. Uh, you know, like in Dallas, the public was all over Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know. The sharps were on the 49ers, you know. So when when Dallas lost, they only had to pay out the 49er tickets. Interesting. You know, all that money they kept for for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a popular public team. Oh yeah. You know, they love uh, the public. They're America's team. <laughs> America's team, you know. But yeah, for the audio podcast people, Tooch is using the quotes. <laughs> yeah, air, air quotes. America, America's team, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, the uh, the sharps were on San Francisco, you know, because uh, and I'll tell you why. It was like that that line moved to San Francisco plus three and a half, and it that was for thirty minutes. You know, as everybody was on, you know, then the Vegas said, you know, odds makers said, "Oh, get that line back to three because they you know uh-huh. it was too much." You know, was, they knew uh, San Francisco was probably uh, had too good of a chance to win, and they were right. And with uh, you know, Patriots, of course, is also a big public, uh, oh, yeah. public yeah. play. You know, Belichick, you know, and then they, they got hosed on the on the Buccaneers and Rams games because, mm-hmm. uh, well, I mean, a lot of people were on the Cardinals, too. I I, uh, yeah. I I was like, I don't understand this, man. I'm all over the Rams. You know, I was just like, this is a no, this is a no I, brainer. I, I'm with you, man. Yeah. I was like, there's no way the Rams are losing this game. Mm-hmm. No, but yeah, Stafford played a nice game. Uh, Amy and Bethany McDonald's. I'm just gonna say McDonald. Rex Ryan claims that San Francisco is a matchup nightmare for Green Bay for a multitude of reasons. I agree with that. Yeah, they can run the ball, nobody can cover uh Debo Samuel. You got George Kittle, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'll tell you, uh, Devontae Adams is a pretty good player, so so is Aaron Jones, mm-hmm. you know, and you've all you still have uh, you still have Aaron Rodgers, you know, yep. like I said. The other guy, the guy on the other sideline is Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> Who would you rather have? You know, <laughs> it ain't tough for me. You know, uh, I'd rather have the quarterback that makes fucking amazing plays a lot. You know, I know he's getting old and stuff, but uh, both teams have a pretty good defense. That, like I said, you got to watch the 49ers. Fred Warner is their middle linebacker. That dude is awesome. Yeah, he might, might, might be the best middle linebacker in the game. But he uh, was hurt uh, late. He the missed the entire second half with an ankle injury. Right. And, Today on on Twitter he said uh, he's good to go, so we'll see though. I mean, Nick Bosa is still in concussion protocol. That's one of their pass rushers. Oh, he's that's you know, huge. Another yeah. another good pass rusher, and uh, you know you got Eric Armstead in the middle. He's kind of like their Akeem Hicks. 
so yeah, it's a it'll be a good game. They, you know, it, Green Bay is is uh, had a, had two weeks to prepare for San Francisco, so. We'll so, I'm not going to hold you to this, yep. but you know, just uh, and this, this your pick is only valid for the next five minutes. But who would who do you think is going to be uh, playing each other in the Super Bowl? And I'm going to put the echo effect because you are the voice yeah. out here. I'm going to go with Buffalo and Green Bay. As much as I hate to say those words, Buffalo and Green Bay. I think Tampa Bay is uh, it could be Buffalo and the Rams. Uh, Buffalo is my pick. I, we'll see. I mean, Kansas City. I, I just don't think Kansas City has the defenses to stop Buffalo, and Buffalo has got a good defense. But we'll see. I mean, if, if Kansas City's Kansas City sneaks by Buffalo, they'll probably get into the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think the the games that uh, count this weekend, uh, Rams. I think the Rams are going to beat Tampa Bay. Uh, it'll be tough. I mean, I hate. You got you got Tom Brady. I just that defense is not that he doesn't have the defense he had last year. Yeah. Uh, Todd, Todd Bowles is great, and he called a great game, but they were playing Philadelphia, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the past defense of Tampa Bay is twenty first in the NFL. You know, you've right. got you've got Cooper Cup. This guy mm-hmm. had almost a thousand yards of receiving after the catch. Yep. You know, nine hundred and some yards after the catch. You got your little secret weapon there in Odell. Yeah. And then I don't know if you saw Cam Akers. That dude, that was his first game back from a season. Oh, my gosh. In. He looked fucking fresh as a daisy. Yeah, plus the catching catching uh, balls out of the backfield. I know everyone's, everyone's ripping on me for uh, for yeah. t- saying the Packers. I'm sorry, man. They have a good team. Do I do I hate the Packers? Yes. <laughs> You're a heretic. <laughs> I hate – that's the team I hate the most. And you know? you're watching me. People are <laughs> it's true, man. But Green Bay is 8-0 straight up at home. 8-0. Mm-hmm. They have not lost at home this this season. Um, you know, they're they're uh, uh at home, they're 7-1 and one against the spread. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've been covered. The thing is, is that uh, they haven't really blown people out. That's what you have to look at. They beat uh, the last game. They, uh, they lost at Detroit, but they weren't playing their starters. They blew out Minnesota, January 2nd. By 27, they they barely got by Cleveland at home. Then uh, they barely got by Baltimore in Baltimore. Then they, of course, before that was the 45-30 win over the Bears, which I don't think it was as close as that. As that uh, uh, Cole Beasley versus Aaron Rodgers. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Hey, if if Aaron Rodgers misses the game with uh, COVID, then I'm I'm taking the 49ers. Right? You know there would be a massive cover-up uh, if that were Oh, there would be a massive cover-up. Massive. Uh, there's no fucking way. I mean, we, we saw what happened January 6th, you know, with the protesters, insurrections, however yeah. you want to call them, at, at yep. the nation's capital. If Aaron Rodgers was withheld out of a Super Bowl game because of COVID, you would see a bunch of cheese heads at the NFL oh offices <laughs> climbing up to yep. steel building, glass and steel building to get at Roger Goodell. It's just yeah. no way people would. So they would cover that shit up. Yeah, Aaron, J- Jimmy G's been to the Super Bowl. This is the Super Bowl two years ago. They lost to Kansas City, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So he was there. Then last year he had a season-ending injury, and they didn't make it, right? They didn't make it to the playoffs. Right. Right. Last year. Right. Um, so this year uh, they're back and they still have the, you know, that their windows 
still open a little bit, but man, I, I'm not a Jimmy G fan, you know, although I know he's from, he's from your backyard. Yeah. I don't trust me. I'm not a, a fan of his. I don't care where he's from, but uh, you know, he's a capable quarterback, but yeah. you know, he's not a special quarterback. Now he's been to the Super Bowl before. Right. And so, you know, he can get you there. So, but I'm not, I'm not a big fan. We need to uh, start wrapping this baby. Yes, up. sir. We are what? Archive days? 81, Aldo, on Netflix. Uh, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check right. it out. I'm going to put it in that queue list. You'll be, uh, you'll be wrapped up. Cause I, I'm going to try to wake my wife up, see if she wants to watch the, the second, ep- third episode. Yeah. <laughs> really? What are you don't right. work tomorrow? Yeah, I work tomorrow. <laughs> but my, my, my office is two feet from my bed. I'll just roll oh. out of bed. At, I'll roll out of bed at 7.55 and log on. Wow, I love it. I, I love that kind of job. <laughs> where you can jump off and do your work right. at the same time. It is absolutely amazing. Yep. All right, everyone. I want to uh, let people know what the hell are we doing? Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, it's bar down. Blackhawk hockey and then the Wednesday night. I think we're nice. going to dark tomorrow night. Uh, and the Science Fiction guys will be here Thursday. Crosstown Talk. Uh, Crosstown Crosstalk will be earlier in the day. If you did not see that interview last Thursday with uh, uh, Liam Hendricks, the White Sox reliever with Benny and Joey Parisi, you really and need no Joe Mandel. No Joe. Did, did Joe Joe Man? He, he I didn't get a text from him yet. He's supposed to be a wife having the baby today. That is right. Today's the day. Anything, but okay. today is supposed to be the very special Congrats. day. I better tell him text him now. I don't know. Maybe he's still up. <laughs> uh, well, I texted him uh, about an hour before show. Time. Okay. And, and no, no answer yet, or did he answer? No, he answered. I, I, I think it's okay to reveal this. Okay. Check this out. At seven p.m. Exactly at seven p.m., I send him a text, and then he he responds quickly. Leaving the house to be induced now, inducing at 8 p.m. either tonight okay. or tomorrow birth. So, okay, so an hour before uh, the inducing was to begin. So I would say no, then right? Yeah, he would text. He would text either of us, one of us. Yeah, I think so too. Know? So he, he texted uh, me last night and said, "Hey, we're being induced tomorrow." So I, mean, I didn't even get the. I got the inducement text. I, didn't even <laughs> get, I figure I'm going to get the the baby text. Baby's here, text. <laughs> Absolutely, and photographs. So, Joe, right. uh, hopefully uh, everything is going f- well for you and especially for Catherine. And uh, can't wait to see those baby pictures. Joe Mandel, the uh, co-host of South Burbs Hitman, co-host of uh, Fantasy Football Goon, uh, and uh, and just all around great guy. Uh, he is going to be a dad any minute now or any hour. So good luck to him. Uh, again, Crosstown Crosstalk tomorrow at 2 p.m. Excuse me, bar down tomorrow at 2 p.m. And then uh, we'll dark tomorrow night. And then on Thursday, it's Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. And uh, Science Fliction at uh, 8 p.m. on Thursday. So, uh, But we will be on the air. If there's any news regarding uh, special news regarding the Chicago Bears and their general manager or coaching hires, don't worry. We'll be here to talk about it uh, and we'll try to have as many barroom voices available to comment and share opinions. And of course we want to hear from you, all of the good people who join us live. It is such a pleasure to have you interact with us, to hear your opinions. Even Don Burr. Even Don Burr, our buddy from Detroit. What what did I say about 
Don Burton got a good laugh in the chat. He's room. never he's never around when you gotta ask him a question. You want to, want some lion's knowledge? He's too busy spouting off about nonsense, yeah. or he's yeah. gone, or he's left already. <laughs> You're right. And then and then I wrote in the chat room. Uh, Don Burr is a good guy. He's the only guy from Detroit that I know who hasn't been carjacked before. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Don, you're welcome anytime. And any of your Detroit Lions fans are welcome, as well as Packer fans and Ravens fans, because guess what? Our guys in the chat room, <laughs> they can defend themselves and they can defend the bar room. And then we've got Johnny Santucci, the bouncer here at the bar room. <laughs> he will fucking bounce you out <laughs> at a moment. So, uh, and John, uh, great, 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 great thanks to you. Anything you want to plug, anything you want to share with people? Oh, I have got uh, some good guests coming up on my show, the Maximum Edge Sports Wagering Show. Got tomorrow, I got David Beerman from ESPN. Ooh, me and nice. me, just me and him, we're gonna be talking sports wagering, Ooh. college basketball, NFL, uh, nice. giving out some picks. Uh, I got Game Day OJ from Houston Radio. She's uh, she's hot, very hot, and uh, Brian Edwards. Uh, uh, from Brian Edwards Sports, he's uh, a college expert, NBA uh, expert hey, too for wa wagering. So three gay guests, and uh, next week I've got. I'm trying to get Melissa Cunningham. She's an NHL. Uh, forget what her show she's on, and uh, uh, Sean. Goodness, good. I, I can't remember his last name. Damn it! Now he's gonna be pissed at me tomorrow. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, uh, from SB One Sports, he's an NBA college basketball expert. So. <laughs> but uh, every uh, every uh, uh, usually about five thirty Central, we have a quick show, mm -hmm. about fifteen minutes long, talking with uh, radio and, and wagering uh, personalities. Cool. Well, um, can't wait to listen to some of those shows and can't wait for you. You're such a nice guy to include me in some of your, some, some mm -hmm. of your best bets. Uh, it just seems like you're always catching me at a time where I can't get to my phone uh, in yeah. time to place the bet, uh, but totally appreciate that. I player. had uh, Wisconsin was my free pick today if you had the Badgers against Northwestern. Oh, and how did you Wisconsin minus three, and they were up when I, I during the show, so they won by six, so we won that bet. Ah, congratulations. A to Wisconsin at Northwestern. Mm -hmm. They covered by uh, three points there. Very and good. the total went over. Wow. I also uh, like the over in that game. I only I only bet Wisconsin. That was my top play. I didn't I didn't bet much today. I was I didn't like the board. Uh I bet two games. That was it. Was, Smart uh, gambler. If you don't like the board, yep. set that one out because there are plenty more betting opportunities ahead. I want to also thank yep. Dan Aguirre. He is my lovely co-host. Uh, right now, he is saving lives. He is a 911 operator on that third shift. And so when people call for help, Dan is there with his mellifluous voice, with his baritone yes. pipes. Golden pipes. That's right. So they call and say, I've fallen and I can't get up. Dan will immediately say, what do you look like? <laughs> 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 Can I get your number? <laughs> he says, hey, get off me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my man, Dan Aguilar, who I love very much. And so we will be back here next week. And again, if anything breaks uh, Bears-wise, we will be on the air. And then uh, we've got tons of uh, Bulls coverage, all of it uh, during the weekend. And we've got the Draft on Tap show happening soon. 
All of that and a lot more happening here at the bar room. Don't you go away during the offseason, you Bears fans. We will entertain you somehow. So now Don, Don Burr's back at 11.45. Oh, Don. He just popped in there. We wanted to ask him a question. Yeah, Your Don. Come on, man. Please. <laughs> You're going to work with us or against us? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, dude, say goodbye to everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, Barflies. I love you. All right.